Wake up. Are you bored on watch? Join your host, JB, for another episode of The Ship's Log. These interviews are so salty, you'll get high blood pressure. Tell me some sea stories. All right, we're back with another episode of the Ship's Log Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me today. I've got a very special guest, as they all are. I'm going to call him the Unionist, and he's going to give you some, some good stories. Uh, this one's done for everybody who's bored on watch, going back to the nature of what this podcast was founded on. So if you're bored out there and you're on a ship or a tugboat or any type of seagoing vessel, this one's for you. In particular, the crew of the President Wilson. They are stuck on a ship out in Shanghai and uh, in the middle of the Yangtze River. They've done a little documentary for the world. It's done very well, and uh, they're still stuck there because they've shut the city down, and nobody's moving, no, no workers in the shipyard, and they've been out there a really long-ass time, and they don't have an end in sight. So keep them in your thoughts and prayers. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Rainwater Dentistry, a specialist in TMJ and face pain disorders. They're there in Houston, Texas. Go to rainwaterdentistry.com for more information. All right, I also want to give you a disclaimer today because, uh, you know, why not? Don't listen to me. Anything I say is generally silly. I'm a professional silly goose, and uh, my opinions and the things that I say do not represent anyone else besides myself and my own silly goose ideas. All right. Thank you very much for joining us, man. Tell us about yourself. Where are you from? Thank you, man. Thank you very much. Um, it's always good to talk to a silly goose. And uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm actually born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. All right. Uh, otherwise known as Philly. Philly. Yeah. That's a tough city. Yeah. It's, it's not an easy city to... Uh, to live in you gotta have you gotta have tough skin for sure yeah you know and if you don't you learn to develop it very quickly yeah so uh it's a it's a city known for you know a lot of uh you know hardcore sports fans you know and they've got a best depending on your point of view they could be the best or the worst sports fans true and you know they're very they're very hardcore and dedicated and loyal, but also they'll get on your ass too if you're not doing, if you're not performing. Don't they your, get on their own players' asses too? Well, that's it. If you they know? suck, well, they they are very in tune with what people's skills are and abilities are, and if you're not living up to those abilities, they'll let you have it. Yeah, you know. So, you know, the players that come there and and play for those sports teams, they they uh, they recognize that, you know, and some some don't, some don't get it, you know. For instance, there used to be a, a pitcher, you probably know him, uh, named Billy Wagner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He pitched for the Astros, didn't he? Uh, I think he did, yeah. Yeah. Astros and a couple other teams. But uh, he pitched for the, for the Phillies. And uh, he was known for hitting 100 miles an hour. Yeah. You know, as a closer. Yeah. You know, and just lightning speed, you know, mm-hmm. throwing those pitches in there when a lot of not a lot of pitchers were doing that. So, <clears throat> he... Uh, he would come in and close a game, and you know if he hit ninety nine on the on the the what do you call that the speedometer? Yeah, whatever they call that. Yeah, whatever they call it. Yeah, 
the crowd would boo. But they weren't booing him. They were booing the, the radar gun. Oh. Yeah. But he didn't get that. You know, he thought that they were booing him. And he's like, oh, I don't know what the hell they're booing me for or whatever. It's like, we're not booing you, dude. We're booing the radar yeah, gun. You, you just got to go with it, man. <laughs> uh, we, we, you know, we went to an A's game last night, you and I, and I right. uh, had a blast. And, you know, obviously there's always like that one drunk guy heckling you, the outfielder, wherever you're sitting. And it's just part of the game. Right. You know, you just smile and, and uh, you know, I mean, it means the fans are, it's, they're rooting for their home team in their own way. Right. You know, I mean, as long as they're not getting nasty and disrespectful, I don't see a problem with it. Right. I like it. It's it's part of blue collar culture. Agreed. You know, agreed. And uh, you know, it's that, that's just how the the Philly fans are. You know, they're they're pretty hardcore. But the city's also known for uh, boxing and and fighting in general. Really? Oh yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean. Besides the whole... Oh, know, Rocky. Well, yeah, besides that story, I mean, that's obvious. Yo, Adrian. Right. Adrian. <laughs> I did it. I love those movies. <laughs> but, yeah, they're fantastic films. But, you know, the city was actually known for fighting, and that's why uh, Sylvester Stallone decided to, you know, film oh, that okay. there in Philly and make the story in Philly. It made more sense. Yeah. Yeah. And he actually, he actually developed that story um, from a boxing match that he was at. Uh, and the boxing match was in uh, North Jersey. I think it was in Newark. Okay. And uh, I think it was 1974. And actually, I've seen the, the fight before. No shit. Yeah. And uh, it was Muhammad Ali and a guy named Chuck Wepner. And Chuck Wepner was like this, this big, you know, this big guy. You know, he wasn't real built or anything. He was kind of, he looked like he was out of shape, but the guy could fight. Yeah. You know? And Muhammad Ali beat the living shit out of this guy. I mean, he just beat him. But he kept getting up. He kept coming back, and he kept he wouldn't go down. And it went this, the fight went the distance. Really? Yeah. So Stallone awesome. was was at the the fight, and that's what it gave him the inspiration to wow. write Rocky. He's a pretty good writer, man. Like oh, yeah. you know, it's just it's like the original Rambo. That was a good fucking clever movie. It was yeah. a good script. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I like his stuff. I mean, besides the Expendables and all that, like mindless well, yeah. shit. You know, his, his early on stuff was pretty good. Yeah. No, he. Yeah. He did a lot of fantastic films. Yeah. You know, but uh, it was funny, like, as far as the the fighting goes in the city, uh, there was a place in North Philly called the Blue Horizon. Okay. And the Blue Horizon was a place where it was a a small arena. Yeah. And it's where a lot of guys would go when they're up and coming, you know. But, like, anyone who was anyone who wanted to get, you know, noticed and recognized. Yeah, would definitely be fighting or try to fight at the Blue Horizon. Blue Horizon, and the Blue Horizon was in a terrible neighborhood, but it was like the mecca of boxing. Yeah, you know, so you know, it's uh, it's definitely known for its. But I bet nobody known. fucked with the boxers, though. I would hope not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they probably uh, they'd probably catch a beating, probably lose some teeth outside of the ring. You know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that movie. So I've been to Philadelphia one time, actually, and uh, on business. Went to the downtown district close to the port. And it was, uh, I, I walked up, ran up those steps. They had moved the statue of Rocky Balboa, which is a big, beautiful statue. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it's made out of, but it's no longer at the top of the steps. Uh, I can't remember what that building is. Is it a library or city hall or it's some the shit? Philadelphia Museum of Art. Museum of Art, okay. Yeah. Everybody calls it the art museum. Mm. 
So that's no longer at the top of the steps. It's down like off to the side, and there's always a huge fucking line. So I didn't get to see it. Obviously, I wanted to do a picture with the statue and everything. Yeah. Didn't get to do that. This is back in 2016. And uh, but definitely, I ran up the steps in my cowboy boots, and which is a little painful, but I did it. Took the cheesy ass photo, you yeah, know, standing at the top like Rocky, and yeah, it's cool, to. man. I mean, that that movie is a part of American culture. You know, if if uh, you know, space aliens were to go back and like try to learn about America a thousand years from now, I feel like that would be a quintessential piece of Americana that they they would learn a lot about Americans from. No doubt about it. Yeah, and you know what that that whole movie. A lot of people that get caught up in the story, and and you know it's a very endearing story, you know. But the whole premise and the whole idea behind it is that somebody who has nothing and comes from nothing can make something of himself. Yeah, you know. And I think that's what a lot of people, you know. Well, there are there are those obviously yeah. that that you know that get that, but there's others that don't, you know. And the fact is is that it's it doesn't matter where you come from or who you are or whatever you know you can if you work hard enough and maybe throw a little luck in there at the same time <laughs> right you know you can you can make something yeah yourself. it's also a love story you know people it forget is. that remember adrian she was a nerdy chick worked at the pet shop yeah you know she was bashful didn't really want to talk a lot yeah. and then in my opinion it's it's a story of two loves the guy's got two loves to choose from He's got this uh, little nerdy girl that he met at the pet shop, Adrian, who he falls in love with, and he, his love of boxing. Right. And he's kind of torn between the two, you know, yeah. and and obviously it kind of tears her up too as the you know the movies progress and stuff. But right. it's it's not necessarily a shallow movie, you know, in my opinion. I agree, it's not shallow at all. Yeah. You know, I mean, in, in my view, it's that film is probably the best written, mm-hmm. and but not the best fight. The yeah. best fight is in Rocky too. Okay, yeah. So that is uh, who's that? That's Apollo Creed two times, right? The second time, yeah. yeah, Apollo Creed, yeah. So what happened? The first time he's it goes to decision or whatever. It, it goes the distance, but he doesn't go down. You know, and, and, he, and he, he doesn't was, win, right? And he, he loses the decision, but it was a split decision. It wasn't unanimous. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's in um, the second movie he wins. He beats Apollo Creed, right? And now, you know, being a I was born in 1985, so. <laughs> Being an 85 baby, that uh, the third Rocky where he fights, uh, what was his name? Ivan no, that was, Drago. That was Rocky IV. Oh, that was Rocky IV. Yeah. Oh, number three was Mr. T. Clubber Lang. Oh, shit. I right. forgot about that. And, yeah, that was, uh, it was 82 um, when the movie came out. And, uh, yeah, that was like, that was a big deal. Yeah. You know, because, like, the first two Rockies were, you know, smash hits at the yeah. box office or whatever. And then. You know, Mr. T was like up and coming, you know, so everybody wanted to go see that. Yeah. You know, but in, what's funny is that in the film, they made, it starts out, you know, Rocky's, you know, he's wearing a suit and he's all, you know, decked yeah. out and this and that. He, he's gotten, uh, he's become gentrified. He's so gotten, a, yeah, he's got a few bucks in his pocket. So, you know, he, uh, you know, he bought the house and, and, you know, all that other bullshit, yeah. you know. But, um, and that Mr. T is calling him, you know, Clubber Lang is calling him soft. Yeah. You know. And he's like, you soft punk, you know? <laughs> <laughs> How badass is Mr. T? Oh, yeah. That dude's still badass. I saw some something on Instagram the other day, and I was oh, yeah. like, you know what? That guy's still cool. Yeah, I wouldn't mess you with know, him. I never not, I've never watched the A-Team or anything. Uh, maybe a couple times when I was a kid, but, you know, Mr. T. That was a great show, man. All that gold. Yeah. And he's the same. 
Doesn't matter if it's the A team or Rocky Three or whatever you're watching. I mean, he, Mr. T is Mr. T. Right. I'm sure he's like that in real life. I would imagine. He probably is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he's uh, soft punk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's taking ballerina classes. No, no, no. That's a that's a tough dude. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So Rocky Four. Then I stand corrected. Ivan Drago. That that was it. It was all about the Soviets and right. You know this 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 big ass Russian that. You know, it's just he's, he's on steroids and he's got all the science behind him and a team of doctors. And, you know, then you got this this guy from Philadelphia. Right. Yeah. And he's he's, and, he's lifting logs and running in the snow. Right. You know, well, that was and that was a big deal back then, too. I mean, yeah. that was the Cold War, you know, and to fight. He actually fought him in Russia, you mm-hmm. know, and that was his decision. He wanted to fight him in Russia or well, the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. I should say. And I mean. During the Cold War, I know you were born during it, but, mm-hmm. you know, it was like toward the end. It was a big deal, like societally, when, you know, when I was growing up, going to school, you know, everybody knew where the fallout shelter of the school was. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we had drills and that type of stuff. And the reason is because you never know, you know? Yeah. And, you know, political tensions and, you know, I guess cultural tensions and all that stuff, governments were, you know, at odds with one another. So, you know, nobody went to to the Soviet Union and the Soviets didn't come to any of the U.S. or any mm-hmm. of the, the free world countries, you know. So. You know, there is a story that comes to mind. Being a Houston boy, there is a story about, I want to say it was Mikhail Gorbachev, whoever the premier of the Soviet Union was at the time. He visited the United States. This is when tensions were softening and everything was uh, starting to, you know, kind of thaw out. But right before the Soviet Union collapsed, he visited NASA. And when he was in Clear Lake, Texas, which is a part of Houston, he visited a Randall's grocery store, which is a local grocery store chain. Mm -hmm. And he later on stated to a journalist that he knew the Soviet Union had lost the war when he walked into that grocery store. And he saw the amount of food that we had and, right? and how cheap it was. And it was just, it was everywhere. It was abundant. It's like, you can't, how can you compete with that? Yeah. You know, like your people are starving or if they're not starving, they're just barely getting by. And we've got this, we've got an embarrassment of riches. What do you want? You want some chocolate? You want some celery? You know, you want some dish soap? What kind of dish soap? You know, you need some sponges, whatever, a mop yeah. maybe, <laughs> you know, buy your kids some toys. It's all, it's all there. All right. You know, that always stuck out to me. Yeah, and not just this show. We got ten different kinds to choose from. <laughs> oh yeah, you know? oh yeah. Here well, in California, that's just like thirty dollars a bottle. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, so is everything. Mm-hmm. Gasoline's thirty dollars a bottle. Yeah, dude, I saw. <laughs> we just saw the gas prices: six dollars and nineteen cents for regular gasoline in Oakland, California. Yep. Uh, what's today? Today is uh, the fourth of yeah May fourth. May fourth. Holy shit! Yeah, unbelievable, dude. Well, and the summer's coming. So you know it's going to have to go up. I think gas hits 7.15 a gallon think summertime so? here in Oakland. You know, I wouldn't doubt that. Yeah. It it always it's always usually like the week before uh, Memorial Day. Mhm. Memorial Day weekend that it starts going up. Yeah. You know, cuz I know people are going to be traveling for the summer and you know vacation or whatever. Dude, if I could afford it, I would buy a fucking electric truck. I would. You should buy a gas station is what you should buy. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> then you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> That's right. 
and charge up whatever you want. You know what I don't understand is uh, being in the Bay Area, I see a lot of electric vehicles. Where does everybody charge these vehicles at? I don't know. Where the, where the fuck do you charge up? Someone email me. Send me an email, please, and let me know where the hell you charge up your goddamn Tesla. Teslas are cool, but where do you charge them? I'll tell you what. I've seen in parking garages where they have like a spots designated for those electric vehicles. Okay. But, I mean, just out in the general public? Yeah. I don't really see them. I don't know. To be honest with you. Why are there not like charging stations for these Teslas? Yeah. If there's so many. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Maybe there are, but we're just not in that world. Maybe. You know what I mean? True. Maybe when you buy a Tesla, they give you a map of all the places where right. they are. It's like when you, go to, when you go to buy a Corvette or whatever, like, that's all you see on the road. It's like, damn, there's a lot of Corvettes on the road. Yeah. What is that, a confirmation bias? You know? Is that what they call it? Yeah, it's like your, your subconscious confirming what you believe, right. you know, trying to help you out. I know when I was buying a car, I was, uh, I was looking for a Buick Regal, and... Uh, you know, I had been looking at them online. I was doing research, you know, after month after month. And the next thing you know, that's all I'm seeing on the road is Buick Regals. I'm like, there can't be that many out here, you know? Because <laughs> I couldn't have seen them. I, I didn't see yeah. them before. So how was I come seeing them now? Yeah. Yeah. I used to think when I was, like, 21, I, I was driving my Camaro Supersport around like a maniac. Uh, I used to... Uh, nice car. Thank you. I used to think that there were so many Mustangs on the road. And I don't know why I noticed every Mustang that I would pass, I would notice it. And I'd be like, oh, those Mustangs. And I would look down my nose at the Mustangs. You know, like, there's so many of them. Like, I'm so unique because I don't have a Mustang. Uh, and then now, now I'm older, and it's like, man, those Mustangs look badass. They're sharp. They're sharp looking, they're dude. They're very sharp. Yeah, the tables have turned. I, I don't like the way the Camaros look at all. You know, I like the older cars. You know, yeah. I, I preferred the Camaros in the 80s. And, like, the early 90s, mm-hmm. they, they called that the uh, third generation. Mm-hmm. Um, of the of the F body, mm-hmm. and that was my favorite from eighty two to ninety two, right? Eighty two to ninety two. And in that time, the Mustangs weren't that they weren't that impressive to me. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the ones in the late eighties, eighty nine, ninety, or whatever they they were kind of sharp. Mm-hmm. But I always favored the Camaros at that time. Yeah, you know, um, I don't think the the Mustangs really started looking sharp until like the mid nineties uh, when they changed the body style more toward like a, a retro look you know yeah. with, with the taillights and all that from the, like the originals in the 60s okay you know and I, I always thought that was a sharp look too yeah you know i used to hate the uh i don't know what they called them but the the mustangs from like the 90s late 90s early 2000s i hated those things for a long time but now that i look back in retrospect they were pretty cool it was a unique design didn't really look like anything else out on the road they were they were but they were they were they were also looked at as a little too boxy, mm. as opposed to you know the other makes and models. You yeah, know, the the Chevy Camaro, you know the Pontiac Trans Am, and you know all their their competitors. You know they had that sleek sports car look. Yeah, you know whereas the uh, you know the Mustangs, even though they were they were quick, you know their 5.0 liter engine and all that, they 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 looked a little little too boxy. I mm-hmm. think you know, but they did. I always thought they looked like shoe boxes. Right. Almost like a Roro. Right. <laughs> Roro exactly. ship. Like, how does that goddamn thing float? I have no idea. <laughs> Looks like a big rectangle. Yeah, it's just a, floating around in the ocean. It's a big refrigerator in yeah. the ocean. Then they a... catch on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. God forbid. That's horrible. Oh, exactly. I've known some guys who've been on vessels that have, you know, that actually it caught on fire. One of the cargo holds. Yeah. Big fire. And they put it out and everything. Actually, two... 
two separate ones. Now that I think about Is it, that right? Yeah. Well, that's the importance of uh, you know taking firefighting classes and you know having that skill. Knowing what to do, you doing really the, need this shit. And doing yeah. the drills, you know, they don't do the drills. You know, it's not gonna it's not gonna be second nature, right? You know, but they do they do those drills because you know you could do it in your sleep. Mm. You know, you do it just Hopefully. because you know it. Sure, but they want you to know it like you like you know your own the back of your hand. Yeah. You know? It's an ominous subject. It is. For sure. From Camaros and Mustangs to ships on fire. Yeah. We, so, t- we took a left turn there. We <laughs> took a left turn. That's my bad. That's all right. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, yeah, at one point, the uh, the Mustangs and the Camaros were like total opposites. In the early 2000s, you had you know the, the boxy-looking Mustangs, hmm. and then you had the what they call the Catfish Camaro, which I'm a huge fan of. And it's just like this long, sleek-looking, rounded... You know, catfish-looking motherfucking car, <laughs> and uh, you know they're they're not really built well, particularly in my opinion. Like the interiors are pretty shitty, um, especially the little door panel thing with the uh, you know the window controls and all that shit on the on the door panel. But you know, I mean, mechanically they were good, they were sound. But the what I like about the Mustangs is, and to this day about the Mustangs is there's so many different editions of Mustangs. True. So there's a lot of uniqueness in it. That's true. Back in the day, they had the bullets, the Mach ones. They they had all that cool stuff. Yeah, the Cobra and the Shelby's. And oh yeah, yeah. You're a badass if you, if you're out there driving around a Cobra or you have a Cobra sitting in the garage. You're a badass. A friend of mine had a Shelby uh, that he just sold maybe a year ago. Yeah, and I think it was a it was a 2006 Shelby. Mm-hmm. I think it was bad to the bone, man. Mm. That sucker would just blow the doors off of anything. Really? You know? Yeah, the racing stripes up there. Yeah, it's that. fucking supercharged. Supercharged, for real. And and on the dashboard, it has uh, Mr. Shelby's signature on there, too. That's cool, man. Yeah, it's really cool. It's like on a nameplate, you know? And uh, those cars, I mean, they're expensive, but they, they hold a value for sure. Do they? Oh, yeah, big yeah. time. Yeah. Oh, new one's like 100 grand. Well, that's that's the problem nowadays. At least in California, they are. All right, just got a hundred k to drop on, on a car, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's why you always got to buy, you know. Well, nobody does. That's that's the problem. It's it, it's credit, you know. I mean, yeah. now credit rates are going up, and that's interesting. Yeah, it should be painful to borrow money, in my opinion. It really should. You know, it, it keeps things in line with with normalcy. You know what I mean? You can't have somebody who, you know, doesn't earn the living enough to be able to, you know, afford a loan for 500 grand. Right. You know what I mean? That just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And that's why you had the the housing crisis and the the that uh, the whole thing blew up in what? 08, 09, something mm-hmm. like that. 08. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember that. There was um there was a ton of people when that happened. There was a ton of people that decided that they wanted to go be a merchant seaman for a living. Really? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, they lost their shirts. And whatever business they were in, there was Wall Street people, you know, that, that, you know, they just, they lost their job. So they're yeah. like, you know what? I think I'll go to sea for a living. Dude, that was a weird, you, you know, know, I had a, uh, at on. the time, I, I was a, I was a deckhand on the tugboats back in the day, back in 2008. And there was a, I had a good friend named Josh and he'll know who he is. And his brother was a really cool guy. He was, you know, a few years older like maybe four or five years older, he you know was well educated, and he had gotten this job at Merrill Lynch. And this must have been like two thousand and seven, late two thousand seven, 
early 2008 or something. And I remember being at a wedding and uh, I was talking to him like, hey, how's life? And he was like, oh, it's great. I'm making a shitload of money, but we're not sure if we're all going to have jobs soon. Like there's some weird stuff going on in the markets. And next thing you know, the guy lost his job and Hmm. it just, I don't know how it turned out. I don't know if he was able to go find another job or what, but he went from like on top of the world to on the bottom real fast. Yeah. Like to not being able to find a job. I believe it. Yeah. A lot of people did, you know, and it was a tough time. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, and there's been various tough times, you know, throughout my life anyway, mm-hmm. you know, as far as, you know, economy's booming and then recession and then economy's booming again and then recession, you know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it seems like it comes in cycles and obviously it has something to do with, you know, people doing, you know, nefarious things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, interest rates, you you can buy a hundred thousand dollar pickup truck like a Ford Raptor and pay 0% interest for like six years. Like that's crazy. That is what crazy. are we doing? Right. What are we doing? Like, you're not going to have that pickup truck for six fucking years. Right. You know, like really? I, it's just, it's, it's insane. You know, like go to a car dealership and tell them you're going to pay cash and see how much interest you get from the manager. They're not interested. They want you to finance that goddamn thing. You know, that's where they're making their money. And what's interesting is it used to be that way where, the more cash that you brought to them, they were happy mm-hmm. because that was just going right into their pocket. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they can fudge the number as to what they're actually selling it at. They're not going to sell it if they have it listed for 38 grand, you know, and you come in with 10 grand in, in, in your pocket. You know, they're going to say, oh, yeah, we sold this for 28 grand. Mm-hmm. And that 10 goes in their pocket. Mm. You know what I mean? That's the way it used to be. Now, I don't know. Now, I haven't, you know, bought a car in a couple of years, but, yeah. um, you know, it's, that's still in my mind as the way it, it is. So I guess I'm I'm a little outdated. Yeah. You know, what, <clears throat> you know the in- obviously interest rate, that's a big topic. You know, you turn on the news these days. Yeah. Not that we're all about the news here on this podcast, but it, it's hard to miss the fact that interest rates are climbing and people are unsure what the Federal Reserve Bank's going to do with interest rate hikes. And I, from what I understand, from what my little simple tiny brain understands of the international economics of the matter is it's kind of like that's why the dollar staying on top is because we are like raising our interest rates faster than anyone else you know so it's like keeping our dollar strong Mm. but what kind of effect is that going to have on somebody who wants to buy a house or needs to buy a vehicle or get financing for x y and z it's just and i've been saying the whole time like debt is the enemy like why would you want to walk around with a bunch of debt Owen banks money for shit, you know, because it's it's a it's a crazy system. I mean, you think about it, the more debt you have, the more uh, the more willing that people are, are uh, banks are going to be able to are uh, interested in giving you credit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you don't have any debt at all and you don't have any credit cards or whatever, you don't have any credit, period. Yeah. So you're not they don't know who you are. You know what I mean? Well, there's a there's a way there's a fine line. I'm one of the I'm one of these people, right? Uh, and I, I try to walk around with with as minimal debt as possible. I've got like one credit card that I've had for a really long time. You keep activity on it, whatever. Uh, you know, had had a paid for mortgage and all that stuff. So at, at some point, you will fall off the map, but you use credit in small little bites. It's like a like a teeter totter. 
you know, you kind of just try to keep that balance of like how much debt you're, you're doing. Like if you buy a car, maybe you buy it and finance it. And uh, even if it's financed, then, then you go, even if you have the cash rather, then you go pay it off after like, you know, four or five or six months. You know, it's just, there's, there's ways to kind of ride that teeter-totter. And I would encourage people to go do their own research. It's something I'm very passionate about. But I think debt culture in America is the enemy. Agreed. And the thing is, is that what you just described is what a responsible person will do, mm-hmm. you know, versus, you know, someone who gets a bunch of credit and then just runs it up. Oh, dude, it was And then they're, they're, they're buried so deep in a hole it's going to take them so many years to pay that off. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like when the oil fields were booming and they're booming again. So every if you're everybody if you're out there in the oil fields, <laughs> I'm not talking shit about you. It's just a, a friendly observation. Back in like 2013, 2014, there were people working in the oil fields that were making buku money. Yeah. And they were spending money like it, like they were retarded. I mean, it was just it was retarded money being spent. Right. I mean, multiple like three, four fancy cars, huge houses, and and they knew the shit was going bust, but they did it anyways. They didn't care. Right. You know. Well, a, a lot of you know Americans who are not merchant seamen did that back in you know oh five, oh six, oh seven, oh eight. You know, buying houses mm-hmm. that they couldn't afford. You know, yeah. and the problem with that is that the banks and you know Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and whatever they were giving uh, people loans that the interest was high and the amount of the loan was high, much higher than they wouldn't be able to afford. Right, and they didn't you know? they didn't have the income. Right. They, they were not responsible Correct. lenders, and they were they were issuing these huge loans to people that could never realistically afford to pay them off. Exactly. But the reason they didn't care is because they would then repackage these things and sell them as uh somebody out there help me out someone someone's yelling at me right now um etf what is it? not an etf they they were reselling they were reselling them as uh like some type of equity you know so these huge banks in in europe were were buying up these uh you know, uh, financial devices that all this home lender debt was wrapped up into. Mm. And uh, they were just paying a shitload of money for this stuff. So the bank never cared if you paid it off because they weren't going to own the mortgage in the end. Yeah, they were going to dish it off. They were going to sell it to some bank in Europe, you know. And what a weird concept. Yeah, and that's why, you know, when you continually do that, eventually the balloon is going to burst, you know, and that's what happened. The balloon burst and... And somebody's going to get left holding the bag like, oh, shit. There's always somebody. <laughs> There's always somebody holding the bag. Yeah. I remember being, dude, I was like 19. I got married when I was young and very, very extremely irresponsible. Hmm. Uh, I was uh, 18 or 19. I don't know. I was shipping out, like in between ships. All the guys on the ship told me, they were like, don't do it, man. That's crazy. Dude, you're crazy, man. This is just a girlfriend. Why are you going to go down to the courthouse and marry her? You're insane, man. Uh, anyways, so we I, I was 18 or 19, married. We were only married for like six months. Hmm. And uh, she wanted to buy a house. She had this like bug to buy a house. And, you know, I, would, I was working on ships and made a decent amount of money. And, you know, the lenders, what blew my mind, I had no idea how to buy a house. I didn't care. But the amount of people that would approach me trying to sell me a house like D.R. Horton or, you know, uh, Cervell Homes or whoever these home builders were. Mm-hmm. It w- I mean, you could just walk right in the office and they'd fucking sign you up and they'd build you a house. 
Like, they didn't give a shit how much money you made. Like, they would just, you know, they would fudge the numbers. They would, you know, pencil whip the paperwork. <laughs> Whatever they had to do to sell you that goddamn house is what they were going to do. I bet. And thank God I never bought a house because I, w- I would have definitely gotten foreclosed on. I was so irresponsible with money and everything else in life. But Most people that age are. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, your your brain's you know not fully doing. developed. Right. I mean, it's, it's funny that you say that because I have a friend who went into the, the Air Force right he didn't even wait until the summer was over after graduating high school. He went into the Air Force. I think he went to the uh, boot camp in July. You know, so it was a month after graduating high school. And, you know, he went to boot camp for eight weeks, and then he went to uh, tech school, what they mm-hmm. call it, in Colorado. <coughs> and uh, he went up meeting a girl in tech school, and he came back around Christmas time of that year, and... He was like, oh, yeah, I met this girl. We're going to get married. I'm like, married? Dude, you're not even 19. What the hell are you talking about? Married. Yeah. <laughs> what do you have to offer each other at that right. age? I mean, how long have you known her? Oh, about a month or two. I'm like, a month or two? What are you, yeah. nuts? Yeah, that's called hormones, and right. you're infatuated, dude. Right. And it's that typical story, you know? And, you know, to this day, they're still married. Are you serious? To this day, they are still married. They had four or five kids. Yeah. And... You know, I think all of them but one is is grown and out of the house. Good for them. Yeah, one of them is in is in the military, and you know the others are you know out getting married on their own and wow. at, the, at a young age, and it's like it's crazy, you know. But it's one of those rare success rare, stories. Exactly, exactly. And they're probably amazing people, you know. Very cool people. Yeah, yeah, very good people. Yeah, the average person cannot do that. The average couple. Yeah. It's yeah. it's an extreme rarity. I'll tell you, you know, I, I thought, just from my personal experience, I was married for 12 years. Around seven years, they say, and I always heard that, around seven years, shit gets difficult. And it really does. Yeah. Like, seven years, it's like, man, do I really fucking like this person? Like, I don't, <laughs> I, this is up in the air at this point. You know? <laughs> but you do what you got to do and, and whatever, you know, you drag it out. But You know what? It's, it's. Obviously, it's a thing. I mean, it's so much of a thing that they actually made a movie about it. Okay. You know. Uh, what movie? It's called The Seven Year Itch. Oh, no shit. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was made in, uh, I want to say, in the late 50s. Uh, okay. By Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe was in it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I'm going to start watching more shit with Marilyn Monroe. Dude, I'm telling you, there are so many old classic films that, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, they overacted and they weren't as good of uh, actors as they are today or whatever, I tend to disagree. You know, yes, there were some people in, in retrospect, you look at it and they overacted a little bit, but there are so many classic films that are classics for a reason, mm. you know? And it, it's, I mean, I've, I love those old films. Really? You know? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I would not have guessed that. I, was, I grew up like that. You know, my mother would sit us down and watch and say, hey, watch this, this is a good movie. You know, this is a classic film, you gotta watch this. I'm like, Ma, I don't watch this. is black and white, you know, or this is whatever. And she'd say, I'm telling you, you sit here and you watch this movie. This is this is a classic. You'll enjoy it, hmm. you know. And damn if she wasn't right, you know. They were they were great. That's cool, know? man. I still like watching old movies. Yeah. You know? Every once in a while. I'm not big on the old black and white stuff, but uh, every once in a while, and my stepdad is in particular. So, mm. <laughs> you know, when I'm back home for the holidays or whatever, I'll sit down and watch an old classic with them. And there is a lot of value in that. Yeah, I mean, they, they were very well put together, and they're still entertaining. The stories themselves are really good. Yeah. You know, like, uh, 
for example, there's one that it's based here in the Bay Area. Um, it's a Humphrey Bogart film um, called Dark Passage. Dark Passage. Dark Passage. All right. And I'm writing this shit down. Write it down. I'm telling you. I, I believe it was it was it came out in 1947 or 48 something like that. And what it's about is first of all the the first I would say 20 or 25 minutes the camera is from the point of view of Humphrey Bogart's character. Really? Yes. So you don't actually see him in the film until after that 20 25 minutes later. That's unique. Right. So it's a unique way to, to, to shoot a film. But it starts out as Humphrey Bogart plays this guy. He's a, a convict who escapes from San Quentin Prison, which is right here in the, in the Bay Area. And he escapes from, from San Quentin, and there's like this manhunt out to get him or whatever. And he makes his way to this road, and he flags down this woman who uh, is driving a convertible, and it's Lauren Bacall. Right? And she, I don't know. She either takes pity on him, or maybe she was a little nefarious in her own maybe way. Maybe she thought he was kind of handsome. Maybe she thought he was handsome and just couldn't resist. I don't know. So a little, little word of advice to you guys in prison. If you're trying to escape, you know, clean up your act. Give yourself a haircut. You know, make sure you're in shape. So if you do escape, that, uh, that pretty lady may pick you up on the highway. That's right. Look like Humphrey Bogart, and you'll get the girl, you know. <laughs> it's a horrible idea. <laughs> So anyhow, she helps him escape and, and gets him out of there and helps him get to San Francisco where he wants to go under plastic surgery to change his appearance okay, so that he can't be caught again and sent back to prison. Yeah. So after he has the, uh, the plastic surgery, then the camera shows him as Humphrey Bogart. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so And he's supposed to be changed, <clears throat> like his appearance is unchanged. Correct. Right. It's Correct. implied. Right. It's okay. implied so that, you know, after he has the plastic surgery and all that, then you see him and that's so, different. So let me get this right. The lady, he escapes from prison, right. from San Quentin, makes it to the highway, flags down a lady in a convertible, and not only does she say, this is a great idea, let me pick up this escaped convict, <laughs> she agrees to bring him to San Francisco to a plastic surgeon? There's there's more to it, and I'm not going to give away the story. All right, all right, all right, all right. But that's a little teaser for you to go out and check it out. <laughs> I'm telling you, I gotta watch this shit. It's now. a great film. All right, it's really it's really. Was it actually filmed in in the area? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just just by seeing like you know obviously the 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 outside shots or whatever. Yeah. You know I don't know if you know they did the inside shots in a studio in L.A. or whatever, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, it's you can see the the. I never, I, re- I never really paid attention to it until I moved out here. How many movies feature San Francisco? Ah, oh, there's a ton. There's a shitload, yeah. There's a ton. Did you ever see that uh, Michael Douglas uh, film, The Game? Is that the one where the lady, he's like in a relationship with a woman that's kind of crazy? It's like half the Michael Douglas films, right? All right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which one of those? Be yeah, more specific. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This is a... Uh, it's uh, Michael Douglas and Sean Penn are brothers, right? They grew up very wealthy. Which one's a, which one's the son, Michael or Kirk? Michael was the son, Michael and Kirk the was the father. Yeah. Okay. Michael's the son of Kirk, right? And uh, so Michael Douglas and Sean Penn play brothers in this film, mm-hmm. and uh, it's uh, it's basically like a uh, uh, it's a suspense thriller okay. type of film, All you right. know, and it's the type of movie that you won't. You won't guess it at all until the very end. 
I like those. You movies. will not guess it, I guarantee, especially on the first watch. But all right. Um, but it's Sean Penn um, playing his brother gets him this birthday gift, and it's called the game. And it's by, I have seen that. Oh, you have? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's a really good one. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an intense <laughs> film, but it was filmed right here in San Francisco. Oh no shit! Oh yeah, oh, that's cool. The one I watched when I was a kid was uh, I think it was called The Rock about Alcatraz. Sure. It was Sean Sean Connery. Sean Connery. What a cool guy, man! <laughs> like as a kid, I remember just looking at Sean Connery like, that's the guy I want to grow up to be. Yeah. That guy's a fucking boss. Well. He was a boss. I mean, even when he started doing the the Bond films back yeah. in the sixties. Oh yeah, you know, young, was, old didn't matter. Like right. he's he still the man. Exactly. Like nobody argues with that to this day. Right. The guy's been dead for how many years? Nobody questions him. I don't. Is he dead? Oh yeah, dude. No. I promise you. Are you kidding me? Sean Connery passed away. Get out of here. I promise you, this is not some Mandela effect shit either. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever have you ever heard of the Mandela effect? I have not. <laughs> now it sounds stupid. Like a lot of people just lump it up within with weird conspiracy theories and shit. Okay. However, I swear I spent my high school years in in Jamaica, right? And I swear that I remember watching a documentary about how Nelson, all about Nelson Mandela, fascinating guy. There's a lot to him, a nuanced character. He was kind of a kind of a bad boy. People forget that these days. Hmm. He 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 was a bad boy. And uh, you know, he, he was a man of action and all these things. And I swear the documentary ended with an interview of him in prison and then all about him passing away and dying while he was in prison. Right? Not the case, not how he died. He hmm. got out of prison and then was elected president. Of the country of South Africa. Yes. Yeah. So they call it the Mandela effect because, like, some people remember Nelson Mandela dying in prison and others don't. And why is that? But why do people, yeah, why do people remember that? Was it Bernstein Bears or Berenstein Bears? We always said Berenstein Bears. Yeah. For me, it was always Bernstein Bears. <laughs> yeah. Is it, my- it, is it Jif peanut butter or Jiffy peanut butter? Oh, it's Jif. I can't remember what's says, right and what's wrong. Well, it says J-I-F on the, on the jaw. Some people, I'm sure, call it Jiffy. I don't know. Anyways, man, ch- check it out. Man, I, I don't want to go into a rabbit hole about effect, it. Mandela yeah. effect. All right. Yeah. I'll look at that. I know a, I know a lady that does not believe in outer space. Really? So here, here's one that relates to the maritime industry. How is that possible? I, that's what I said. I said, how the fuck? Let me, let me tell you. Yeah. Let, let's go get another beer, and I'll explain to you why outer space is real All right, for the good. entire world. All right, so y'all hang in there. We'll be back in three, two, one. All right. <clears throat> so like I was saying, I apologize for the interlude, but uh, no disrespect. This lady does not believe in outer space. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there having a drink, and I was like, well, that's impossible. And I was having a hard time convincing her. And she was like, well, how do you know outer space is real? I was like, well, I'll tell you why I know outer space is real. It's because we have GPS satellite navigation, right? And these, uh, you can cross-reference and cross-check the GPS satellite positioning with celestial navigation and actually tell that these satellites are accurate in giving you your position on planet Earth. So, I don't know. It was a little bit bizarre, but there are people out there who believe that the Earth is flat or whatever. And... You know, I'm not saying they're they're wrong for believing these things, but 
you know, there's people out there that believe in some weird shit. Every once in a while, I come across one like the Mandela effect that's intriguing, though. Well, what's interesting to me is that when people think that the world is flat or there's no outer space or whatever, how do they how do they reconcile you know the stars that they see every night you know and and how they how they change you know yeah. and how as time goes on you know if you want if you look at one particular constellation say orion for instance which is very uh prominent in the uh in the winter time mm-hmm. if you watch that over the hours it will move across the sky mm-hmm. you know to the point where it, it obviously falls off the horizon you know how do they how do they reconcile that i couldn't explain it i don't know i would love to hear them explain it you know <laughs> i'm sure there's plenty of podcasts out there that you could you could hear them explain this crazy i guess i'm going to have on. to get on there and, and yeah. start listening the one, i heard one the other day uh, someone was telling me they believe that the uh, the moon is a holographic projection and i was like no that's that's wrong like you can actually measure the moon's effect on on tides on on the ocean you can you can measure it that's what we call tides you know you can measure it mathematically and time it you know it's it, it's not a holograph i promise absolutely <laughs> so. you know and i'm sure you went through a celestial navigation uh you know what no i never took cell nav oh you didn't nope okay tear nav but no cell nav okay yeah well, there are those there are many seamen out there who took Celestial navigation, and you know, I'm sure they believe that outer space is real. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's go back. You were telling me on uh, on our smoke break. You were telling me about your granddad. Oh, my great uncle. Great uncle. Yeah. Tell me about your great uncle. We're going back to boxing in Philly. Right. Well, my uh, my great uncle, who's my uh, grandfather's brother. Um, during the Depression era, you know, there weren't a whole lot of people that were working, obviously, and, you know, times were tough, and he was this huge man, you know, at least 6'4", you know, probably 250, maybe maybe bigger, I don't know. Um, I believe he was at least 6'4", and, uh, you know, I was a little kid when I met him, and he was just, you know, he looked like a giant then, so, you know, as an adult, I'm sure he really looked like a giant still, but at any rate, he... Uh, for to make money, he used to. Bare this is kn- during the depression. During the depression, he used to bare knuckle box in this place in Philly called the Blood Pit. The Blood Pit. The oh, blood that's pit. ominous. Oh yeah, and uh, you know that's that's what he did. You know to put food on the table. You know a lot of people. You know in that time. You know they if they weren't working, they had to do something to feed the family. So he went out there and bare knuckle boxed. You know, and he was just, a, he was a tough man, you know. I, uh, so you were saying he was bigger than the average person during the Depression. Well, you think about it. I mean, now, 6'4", it's still a, a tall person. 250, it's still a good-sized man. But back then, I mean, as generations go on, you know, you look at kids nowadays and, you know, they're 13 and they're six foot or even taller mm-hmm. you know it's like each generation keeps getting bigger and bigger yeah so back then there weren't a whole lot of big people i mean i think my grandfather was five nine maybe all right you know so to have a brother that was six four you know it's it's a huge i bet he used to get his ass whooped by his bigger brother i'll tell you what he may have but 
I heard he was he was quite the the Spitfire himself. You know, <laughs> he was a boxer too, right? Well, no, he wasn't a boxer, but he he came from a, a huge family, right? And they were dirt poor. I mean, dirt poor. They were sharecroppers in North Carolina growing up. No shit. Yeah, and uh, you know, actually, it's funny. About two years ago, about a year and a half ago, I'd say, um, I took a ride just. Just, you know, because I had some time off and some vacation time. And I drove down to North Carolina just on a whim, you know. And uh, I drove down just because I wanted to get away from where I was and where I was working. I just wanted to go out and clear my mind, right. So I just decided to get in the car and drive. And wherever I stopped, that's where I was going to stay for that night, you know. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. So I went up staying in Raleigh, North Carolina, right. That's where I stopped. Got a bite to eat, had some beers, crashed in a hotel, and the next day I got up and had breakfast, and I was thinking, you know what, I wonder how far it is from here, and I checked it out, and it was about a good uh, hour and 20 minutes from there, or something like that. Okay. All right. So I said, what the hell? I've never been this close. I might as well take a ride. So I took a ride uh, just to see the old town, and it's it's this little... What's the name of the town? It's called Garland, North Carolina. Garland. Right. right. And... It's funny because I had met people previously, you know, years ago that were from North Carolina and asked them if they had ever heard of Garland, and they're like, nah, I never heard of it. Mm. <laughs> you know? So it's tiny. It's a tiny town. It's yeah. really, I think there's two traffic lights in the entire town. Damn. Dude. Yeah, it's small. So at any rate, um, I took a ride down and, uh, you know, just to lay eyes on, you know, the place where my grandfather grew up. Did you find the exact place? No. No. But I don't, I don't know the exact address, but I was in, it was in the town. And hmm. uh, as a matter of fact, I wound up having lunch at a little cafe there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, there was, like, across the street, there was a, a grocery store called uh, Piggly Wiggly, you know. Piggly Wiggly. That's a big chain, isn't it? <laughs> Apparently, it's a big chain down south, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and I had heard of it before, but to actually, you know, lay eyes on one, it was kind of funny. Yeah. So, at any rate... Um, yeah, you know, I just spent maybe a couple hours in the town just driving around and seeing what's what. And there wasn't a whole lot going on, I'll tell you that. But it was kind of cool to see, you know, the uh, where my grandfather had grown up and all that. Yeah, it's and, always cool to get in touch with your roots, man. Sure. But, you know, the fact that they, uh, they had a big family and they were sharecroppers at the time back. How big was their family? I believe there was 10 in their family. And ten kids. Holy shit. Yeah, well, they didn't have televisions back then, you know? Yeah. So, you know, the only entertainment that mom and pa had was, uh, <laughs> you know. I can relate. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, at any rate, they, um, you know, they had a they had a tough life growing up, you know. It was, you know they were very poor, and, uh, you know, they, they, I guess they found ways to entertain themselves, you know, yeah. growing up as kids, and... You know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, when you're a kid and, you know, you're, you, you always fight with your siblings. Mm-hmm. You know, I did with mine. You know, my, my one brother and I used to fight on a daily basis. You know, and today we're, we're you know, very close. Uh, my entire family and I are close. But, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you, you always wind up fighting. And, you know, who are you going to fight? You fight your, the people who are closest to you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So true. And, um, but, you know, don't let anyone else in the neighborhood start messing around with one of your brothers or sisters yeah. because then you're going to fight them yeah. even harder than you would fight your, your siblings. Right. You know? So, um, 
at any rate, uh, you know, my grandfather was, he wasn't nearly as big as my uh, great uncle, as his brother. But, uh, you know, I heard that he was, he was quite the guy to, you know. The, That's tough, man. He wasn't the guy that he wanted to mess with, you know. Yeah, I wouldn't pick a fight with a guy. You know, times are tough. You're having a hard time <clears throat> feeding your family. What do you do? You just get in a boxing ring and start boxing with no fucking gloves on. That's that's a tough person. I don't even know if there was a ring, to be honest with you. You know, it was obviously it was an underground thing, and it was you know the blood pin, the blood pit. Oh, the blood pit. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. the blood pit. <laughs> yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah, and I didn't even know that. I heard that story from a family member. I was just, I was so enamored with that. You know, I thought that was that's really cool, cool, man. Yeah. It's something else, dude. Tough times. I hope we never see anything like that. You yeah. know, I grew up. Both both my grandparents uh, grew up during the Great Depression. My uh, at least my grandfathers did, and I, you know, I, I heard the stories, and it clearly affects who they are and their characters as adults. It's who you become. Yeah, my uh, <clears throat> my mom's dad was greatly affected by his time in the Korean War. Mm. He had some weird quirks. Uh, one of the things was like peanut butter and eating. Like he had been, I guess, so hungry on the ships going over and coming back that like it just stuck with that particular thing stuck with him. You know, and he grew up very poor in St. Louis during mm. the Depression. And it was like a big deal. You, you'd get like an apple or an orange on Christmas in a sock. You know, that was that was Christmas. And you were happy to have it. That's the story he told me. You know, it's so funny because my mother told me <clears throat> that, you know, as when when her grandfather, or her father, rather, uh, my grandfather and, you know, their family were growing up in, as the sharecroppers in North Carolina, on a good Christmas, they would get an orange. Yeah. I guess that was the thing. Yeah. You know? It was a big deal. That was a big deal. Exactly. Yep. You know, because if it wasn't a good Christmas, I guess you got nothing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he had actually uh, grown up, him and his siblings, I think he had like two or three siblings or something like that. His his old man owned a, uh, I guess this would be my great-grandfather on my mom's side, one of them. He owned a machine shop in St. Louis mm-hmm. and um, had done some contract work for you know, like the Hell Diver or something like that and you know, I, I, or whatever, some type of airplane that was a you know big deal had made him a, a decent amount of money or whatever at the time. And and uh, anyways, Great Depression hits. His machine shop goes belly up early on in the depression. And uh, here's this guy who used to own a machine shop, doesn't have a way to make an income anymore. And uh, him and his kids started doing uh, like vaudeville acts or something. Is that and, right? Yeah. So they, from what I understand of vaudeville, it was like uh, acrobatics and shit. Yeah, that and there was like comedy mixed in and yeah, and all that type of stuff, you know. Yep. So my mom's dad always had an affinity for clowns. Really? And, yep. Always. His his favorite song was uh, "Bringing the Clowns." Yep. Loved, Send in the clowns. Send in the clowns. I'm sorry. Thank mm-hmm. you for the correction. And uh, yeah, had just loved clowns and you know loved that type of stuff and hmm. that was how they put food on the table. Wow. You know. Yeah. That's cool, man. Oh, hard times. Can you imagine that? Like, hey, kids, I lost my job. We're going to go do fucking acrobatics and make people laugh right. to uh, to eat tonight. Like, yeah. that's, that's a different breed of people. Well, I mean, have you ever seen that movie? Uh, and it's funny. We keep going back to boxing. But <laughs> did you ever see that movie Cinderella Man? I did. Yeah, with Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe, right? Yeah. And he, 
I like him as an actor. I do. He looks like an asshole. Like, I don't think we'd necessarily get along in, in real life, but... Eh, don't sound so sure. <laughs> you just might be best buds. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> just me and Russell Crowe recording right. a podcast. That's right. You call him up. You say, Russell, hey, it's me. <laughs> hey, get your ugly ass face over here, man. <laughs> yeah, no. I don't uh, he's a great actor. But, yeah, he is. He, he you is. know, and that movie... You know, he was playing the character, Jim J. Braddock, who mm-hmm. was fighting during the Depression, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it was a part in that film where he couldn't get a fight and he wasn't sanctioned or anything. And they they just wouldn't give him a fight. So he had to go to the boxing commission where all these fat cats are sitting around and, you know, they're drinking their whiskey or their wine or whatever they're drinking. And he went over there and he had to beg for money. And these were the people that he knew, um, you know, in the boxing commission as when he was a fighter. Mm. And, I mean, that had to be so pride-swallowing, you know? Just imagine that. Just, he didn't, and that's the whole thing is that he didn't even care. <clears throat> he did it just for his kids and for his, for his wife. Mm. You know, he did it to feed his family. Yeah. And that's the thing is that back then, I think you did whatever you had to do. To feed your to family, yeah. you know, that's what those were men. You yeah, know what I mean, those were really true hardcore men. Yeah, you know, that's true. And I think, you know, not to disparage anybody of you know today's generation or even you know younger than us, but I think we've had it so good during our lifetimes mm-hmm. that we don't know what it's like to to, to struggle hardcore no. like that. Oh hell no, we don't know what it's like to really wonder where the next meal's coming from. You know yeah. what I mean? There are some who do, you know? Yeah. But I would say the majority of, you know, people in society today, they really don't know that type of suffering and that type of struggle. Yeah. You know? I, I think there's a lot of people out there in America that uh, <clears throat> that do experience that, that don't know where their next meal's going to come from, but it's usually due to mental illness or, it, or you know, some type of... Um, <clears throat> Sometimes it's a choice. We've talked about hobos, professional hobos on the podcast before. Sure. Uh, there, there's people out there that experience these situations for one reason or another. They're real. They're out there. Just look at the shanty towns in Oakland, California. There's plenty <laughs> or, of them. Or San Francisco. There's no, plenty of them. We left a Giants game, uh, what, last week, and some dude was just, like, taking a piss on the sidewalk, like, next to some cops. I was like, what the fuck? fuck is going on here yeah i mean there's weird stuff going on in america right now but i don't think that it's by and large due to some economic hardship or war like in ukraine like right you want to see you want to meet some tough people go to go to donbass you know no question, <laughs> in dude. ukraine right now no question. i mean I, i've never been I, I don't really know anybody from there but i would imagine they're pretty fucking tough you know you have to be to be able to survive something like that i mean you have to be strong-willed yeah. at the very minimum you know, and you know, obviously those people didn't know what to expect. They mm. they never experienced this before. You know this uh, this war started. Yeah. You know, but I think that they found that in within themselves, you know, that inner strength that they didn't even know they had to be able to survive th- those who are surviving. You know. Yeah. And I think that's. There's a lot of us that that really don't know what we're capable of and what we're what our strengths, uh, the maximum of our strengths really are. Yeah. Until you're thrown into that 
situation, you know? Yeah. I mean, God forbid. But, yeah, I imagine you, you really find out who you are in a situation like that. It's true. You know? Uh, these people in uh, Mariupol, mm-hmm. the Ukrainians who didn't want to give up, um, they got people who were trapped in this huge, like, factory thing. It was like a, a big ironworks facility. Yeah. Might as well just get into this. This is a, this is a fascinating topic to me, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying that I have been paying attention to these conflicts, unofficial conflicts that weren't quite war, um, in in the Donbass, uh, in in Luhansk, um, and uh, these other places in eastern Ukraine since 2014. It just fascinated me, man, because, I mean, with YouTube, you you were getting real footage of combat, like actual combat footage out of eastern Ukraine. Hmm. And it was like, where else in the world do you see that, really? I mean, maybe the Middle East or whatever from back in the day, but eh, not quite. Yeah, Afghanistan, obviously, you know. um, But as far as the Western world, I guess that's kind of more Eastern. But but still, like, it, it 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 just fascinated me. And I would watch, you know, Vice actually began being embedded with the uh, Russian separatists. And I found that fascinating. Like, these are people that just said, fuck the system. I don't like this. I, I'm, I'm assuming from at least the, the footage that I watched. And they just decided to take up arms and just, you know, try to burn everything down and, hmm. you know, uh, become their own place. And then uh, after a while, the vice <coughs> reporters became embedded with the Ukrainian military and they would show things for me. So both sides, I don't really pretend to, to have an opinion. I'm not educated enough to really know what's right, what's wrong. I just found it fascinating. So I would, I would pay attention to both sides. Right. And it was just, it was just like, you know, I can't get enough of this footage, man. Because these are these are people who are either going volunteering, uh, military professionals on one side. It was just everything in between. At one point, uh, I was watching footage that Vice had done on a guy who was uh, from Texas. They had a name for him. I can't remember. But uh, he was actually fighting on the Russian separatist side. And uh, you had all kinds of different ideologies involved. And uh, obviously, there there does seem to be maybe some more extreme and bad ones on the Ukrainian side. But so I've always kind of reserved these these judgments just because I just didn't want to make a judgment. I, I I wouldn't qualified to pass a judgment on what was going on. Now we're kind of at the point, obviously, to where some pretty serious shit going on. And absolutely, and it affects people in the maritime industry as well. I mean, there's a lot of Russians on ships. There's a lot of Ukrainians out there on ships. Uh, you know, the, the economics of, of moving wheat and, uh, you know, other products on ships. You've got a, a fucking Russian battleship got sank. Yep. I don't know if it was technically a battleship, but it was uh, the, the Moskva was the, that was the flagship of the, of the Russian Black Sea Fleet. Right. Uh, and it's, it's done. It's gone. It's at the bottom of the ocean. And almost everyone on board is dead. Yep. Like, that hadn't happened since World War Two. Right. There's some fascinating shit going on. It, it, indeed. And, you know, the problem is, is that, and it, first of all, it's, it's very interesting that you've been following this since 2014, you know, where I think most people, myself included, didn't even realize that that was going on. Mm. I mean, obviously, everybody knows that, you know, Russia went in and took Crimea, you know, yeah. and they basically just walked in and took it, mm. you know, and there was, there was very little resistance at all. Right. You know, and... But, you know, most people, even though they know that that happened, they don't know that 
all of that conflict was continuing. Yeah. You know? Um, and again, myself included. And um, I think it's it's very good that you utilize different sources for your information because it's unfortunate that nowadays a lot of journalism isn't true journalism anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? A lot of it is, is uh, you know, influenced uh, politically, you know, and there's, there's a spin to it. And, you know, you have to... You have to get like your your information from various different sources to get the real story of what's going on, you know. Because if you listen to just one, you're gonna get you're not gonna get what happened. You're gonna get one person's opinion, right? They or, try to influence what happened. Opinions, you know what I mean? Exactly. And that's that's a problem in my opinion nowadays with with journalism is that you can't just put on one television or one right. radio on, source on, on all sides, right? Absolutely, they're, they're trying to mold and shape what what people's thoughts are, right. or opinions are on on a topic, and things didn't, hearts and minds. Right, well, things didn't used to be that way. Right, you know, and I think that that came primarily with the twenty four hour news source when that started. You mm-hmm. know, uh, you know, when I was a kid, there was you put on the news at you know in the morning, and then you put on the news in the evening or the after, late afternoon, and then at night. You know, and it was only a half hour, and it told mm. you what happened. You know, who, what, when, where, how. That was it. Yeah. You know, and all of those news re- uh, reports that were made, they had to pass through uh, rigorous. Um, I guess uh, what do you call that? The, the news editor, mm-hmm. right? The editor mm-hmm. of the news or editor of the newspaper or whatever. Yeah. It had to pass through him, and you had to ensure that you had credible sources and you had to ha- ensure that things were verified yeah, you just before it even got reported yeah think about it when you remember the first superman film made in 1982 with christopher reeve that was three years before i was born dude do you remember it i think <laughs> i saw it a couple of times when i was really young okay well you know you know the story is, is that where he was in antarctica i don't remember where the hell he, he had was. an ice base or some shit <laughs> he was somewhere yeah, yeah. but there was Forget that film. Just the, the whole the whole story of Superman, right? Okay. He's Clark Kent, who works mm-hmm. for a newspaper, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And who's always on his ass? Is the news editor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right? Yeah. He's always giving him a hard time, right? I forget the hell the guy's name is, yeah. but, you know, he's always giving him a hard time. And he's like, damn. You know, that's like, it's, the, it's like the boss that is hard on him. He's hard on him because he wants to ensure that not only him, but everybody who's, re- who's reporting the news is getting accurate news. Mm-hmm. Today, it's not about whether it's accurate. It's about who gets it out first. Mm-hmm. You know? Because everybody has to have the, quote, breaking news. Yeah. You know? And if, you, if you've noticed, every new news is breaking. Breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. You know? And how many times do you see breaking news and it's not even factual to begin with? Yeah. I'll give you a prime example. When Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, passed away when his helicopter that he was in, when, uh, when that crashed and he died, mm-hmm. right? The initial report was that he was in there with all of his kids. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, that was the initial report made by some jackass at ABC News, mm-hmm. right? And then it came out later that it was one of his daughters was in, was in the uh, helicopter with him, mm-hmm. you know? Which, 
obviously it's a tragic thing and everybody was very sad about that but the fact is is that the initial report came in was inaccurate. and it was wrong yeah you know and it wasn't about whether or not he didn't the, the guy who reported didn't care whether or not it was right all he cared about is I was the one that got it out first. Mm. Well, you were the first jackass that got it out because you got it out wrong. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that's what a, the, what a dick thing to do, man. It is. I mean, you talk about someone's family. It's yeah. it's terrible. Mm-mm-mm. But you know the fact is is that it's just a, a small example of how you know news reporting and journalism isn't really you have to you have to go to different sources. Yeah, you know you can't rely on just one. Ah, man. Some dark shit, dude. I know. I'm sorry to bring it down, man. No, no, it's all right. I mean, it, it's a world, <laughs> right? I mean, not everybody's living living high and mighty. Yeah. Uh, you got to talk about these things from time to time. Well. You know, I, 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 I'm very aware when I watch the news, A, I hate local news. I, I don't watch local news. The one time since I've been in California that I turned on local news and actually watched the shit was a Sunday morning. I turned the news on. And there was like a, a shooting in Sacramento, like some game-related shooting, whatever the bars let out. And I was like, I don't care. I mean, like, I mean, I do, but I mean, that's, that's, I don't care to see that. I guess would be more accurate. Like, why do I want to put that in my mind? Like, right. that, it's just, it's just so crazy. You know, I grew up watching my father watch the news and my mother watching the news. You know, at night, and they would catch the eleven o'clock news and then go to bed. You know. And that was what you did. You watched the news. You probably watched Johnny Carson right after, and mm-hmm. then you went to bed, you know? And I don't even think, you know, they ever made it through the entire episode, hour of, of Johnny Carson because, you know, you're, you're wiped out. You're tired yeah. you know, by that point. So, um, you know, that's what you did. So, you know, you see that growing up, and that's what you become. That's what you start doing as an adult. Yeah. And I used to watch the news before I went to bed. And I came to the realization like a couple of years ago. I'm like, why am I stressing myself out before I go to bed? Yeah, why would you do that? At the time when you're supposed to be winding down and relaxing and chill and you know getting ready to you know have a peaceful slumber, right? I'm stressing myself out by watching. So all and this. so got robbed. Right. This fucking apartment complex burnt down. <laughs> exactly. Five alarm fire. Right. No, man. Like, it's- and it's a shame that that stuff happens, but you know. Maybe I should watch it at 6 o'clock as opposed to 11. You know right. what I mean? It's, I don't know. It's just nuts. That I you... just don't watch it. I mean, I, I'm fascinated by international news, but even even that, I tend to read more than I, I, I consume visually. That's smart. Now. Yeah. Uh, when I do uh, actually watch the news, like you were saying before, I try to do an equal amount. Like, say, if I'm, if I'm watching something about, uh, surprisingly enough, they still have RT uh, TV here in the United States <laughs> via app. Uh, I'll, I'll watch, you know, 15, 20 minutes of RT, and then I'll watch, you know, 15, uh, 20 minutes of the BBC or, you know, whatever, ABC or something like that, just to balance it out, just you know, see what both sides are saying. Right. And then because, you know, if I had my way, I would just want raw data. I would just want, like, footage and audio of what's going on, and then I'll, I'll figure it out myself. Like, go interview some of these people and let me figure it out. You well, know, formulate my own opinion. And that's what it should be. Right. You know? And, and that's- to that point, I'll say, uh, so my brother comes in contact with people from all over the world, and uh, he move, he's moving these ships, and, you know, he sees Russians. These days, he says the Russians don't want to talk. They don't want to say anything. Is that right? They don't want to have a conversation. 
Okay, I, I, I get it. If, uh, you know, my country were doing something like that, I probably wouldn't want to talk about it either. Mm-hmm. And I stayed on the fence for a really long time about uh, making my mind up as to, you know, exactly who I thought was right and wrong in this situation. And the raw data, like we were talking about raw data, that's what I want. <clears throat> I consider this to be raw data. This is two human beings interacting, and this is their, their rendition of, of what's going on, real human experiences in a place. Um, he was talking to a Ukrainian captain the other day whose family got blown up in a missile attack. Wow. Fucking missile. And I think it was like his, his daughter's family or something like that. It was, it was not, a, you know, extremely, it wasn't his like, you know, immediate family, but his extended family had gotten blown up in this, in this home. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's like, holy shit, they're there one day and the next day they're not. That is pretty crazy, it and is. I don't think that this Ukrainian ship's captain would tell a lie like that. Like, what? what what's the motivation? Like, the, and he said this guy was very upset. Like, obviously, and he, he said, "Oh my God, Captain, that's awful. I don't know how you're doing your job right now. I don't know how you're at sea, away from home, sure. functioning." And it was sad. He said, obviously, the guy was very sad. I'm sure, and you know that's. It's terrible, you know, when there's a lot of merchant seamen that, you know, they, they go out to, to sea and, you know, they, they get word that they've got a family member that passed away or whatever, and that's, you know, extremely tragic, and, you know, they have to, you know, get off the ship and fly back, you know, and, and, and mourn, mourn their family's death. Yeah. The fact that this man had his entire family, you know, pass away in that, in that, in that manner is just terrible. I don't know how he was doing his job either. I, I, don't, I don't either. I, I, I don't know if I would be able to. I agree. Frankly. I don't think I would be either. You know, further, furthermore, uh, another interesting point that he made to me was that he has spoken to a lot of these people from the Ukraine, Ukrainian seafarers, and what they say is, you know, one of, one of his standard questions is, Did you, have, have you ever, you know, thought that this would happen? Did you ever think it would come to this? You know, did you foresee this or, you know, how do you feel about this? And he said that the number one answer is they never thought in a million years that Russia would invade the Ukraine. I'm sure. He and uh, he said that one of the guys explained it to him. It would be as if your cousin decided to declare war on you and and start killing your family. Hmm. You know, it's just it's kind of unthinkable. Right. You know, closely related peoples, their next door neighbors. All these things, disputes, yeah, a little bit of ugliness, sure, but not all-out war, you know, dropping bombs in the capital and, and, and everything. So sure, oh. that's when you when you put it into perspective like that. I'm I'm not out there waving a Ukrainian flag or anything, but you know, w- once I heard that, I was like, man, that's over what, man, over a little bit of you know territory, over you know, it, please explain this because I'm not understanding. It's not computing with me, and it seems quite wrong. So agreed. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people can can relate to that. You know, they they see, you know, the Ukraine is, you know, not only, uh, you know, the victims of this, you know, this uh, aggression, I guess we'll call it. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, the underdogs, you know, the, the little guys, you know. Have you and seen have you seen the uh, the the Wolverines tags in the in the war zones and shit? No. From the civilians in the Ukraine? No, I haven't. That's so badass. Those people are my heroes. The Wolverine signs. What, oh, what? dude. Oh, come on, man. Uh, Red Dawn. Oh, really? Oh, man. Is yeah, that I, right? That's one of my favorite movies. I love that movie, <laughs> Red Dawn. 
And now, uh, oh, hold on, hold on. Now, that effect film came out in what, like '85? So, <laughs> and you're born in '85. Funny, funny story about that. <laughs> I went to school in Montana for six months. Okay. And it was a non-traditional type school called Spring Creek Lodge, and we had two teachers. And they would teach class for like a week at a time or something like that. And then, you know, take a, they, they would alternate. And I cannot remember this guy's name. Very interesting character. He was a very intellectual guy as well. Kind of a, you know, like a, a romantic type dude. And, uh, you know, uh, very idealistic. On Fridays, he would make us watch a movie. Okay. And whatever that movie was, he would pause it and lecture us. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. What, just to make sure you were paying attention? No, to teach you stuff. Okay. Like, he was teaching, actively teaching. It was, it was fascinating. I, I, I love the way he did that. That's pretty cool. And one of the movies was Red Dawn, and he would pause it and explain this and ex- explain that, and, mm-hmm. you know, why is this important? Where would the nuclear fallout be? Would we be okay where we're sitting here in Montana? You know, explain the air currents and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, so watching that as an impressionable 13-year-old, it just really, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot there. Anyway, so the Wolverines, that ideal, that principle, you know, that there's these, you know, uh, young hooligans running around blowing up Russian tanks, you know, <laughs> blowing up the invaders and shit. I can relate to because it's my my inner child just like, you know, right. identifying with that. It's coming that out. That is so in real cool, life. man. Yeah. And so now they're making t-shirts. It says Wolverines and it's got the kid holding up the AK with, right? with a Ukrainian flag <laughs> behind it. Like it, that's that's pretty cool. I almost bought a t-shirt the other day, but then I was like, ah, I'll hold off. I'm going to see you wearing those t-shirts someday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next time I see you, I'm sure you're going to be wearing one of those t-shirts. <laughs> Speaking of, you know, I, I got a buddy. I just want to throw this out there. Um, he's not paying me to say this or anything. Uh, Big Sal from Galveston. Shout out to you, brother. He just started a, uh, a clothing company, from what I understand, called Full Ahead Lifestyles. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've got to go there and, and uh, either get some gear or hopefully his, his big ass will send me a hat or something. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, man, it's pretty cool. I, I like that. I like nuanced clothing. That, that's, that's a cool thing. A couple more shout-outs before I forget. I've got them written down here. I meant to do this during the intro. Taylor Lance, uh, my man from Michigan, been listening to the podcast while he does maintenance on a I want to say a sailing vessel. Uh, pretty really? crazy, man. Up up there on the Great Lakes. Yeah. Uh, shout out to you, brother. Thank, thank you for listening. I have no idea why you listen to this podcast, but thank you. All right. Taylor Lance. Thanks <laughs> uh, for listening. My girl, Lana Brooks in Kansas. Uh, you know, married mom. She's just kind of cool. Thinks she's got some family in the maritime industry. Is that she, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. All right. Like uncles and brothers and sisters and everything in between. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Rock uh, on, Lana. Yeah. Shout out to you, Lana. And, and the firecracker, and I'll leave it at that. Oh, the firecracker. Yeah, you know the firecracker. Yeah, well, don't know, but know of. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> uh, yeah, so let's move on, man. So we're done talking about the Ukraine. We've talked about the economy. Let's talk about Oakland. Let's talk about crime in Oakland. Crime in Oakland, yeah, wow. Yeah, get, get you another beer, man, because you're going to need it for this one, man. I definitely will, that's for sure. <laughs> so we're going to take a break. We'll be back in three, two... One, going to talk about crime in Oakland. All right, so just to briefly touch upon the crime in the city of Oakland, uh-huh. I'll illustrate my point. Go to an A's game, the fucking dude's selling beer. As soon as you get off the train, uh, there's like a concrete walkway, dude's selling beer and shots of vodka and fireball and whatever else you want out of an ice chest. Yep. 
and we literally said, nah, there's not even any cops around. No, the cops were like fucking 15 feet down the way, down the walkway, <laughs> standing there watching this motherfucker illegally sell alcohol. Well, there was more than one selling alcohol, yeah. if you noticed. Mm-hmm. There was one, one right by the steps, and then, I don't know, maybe another 20 yards ahead, there was another guy. You know, and they were... They were doing it like like they owned the joint, you know. Yeah, it was. And what did we say? Nobody. Cares. No one gives a fuck in the city of Oakland. Nobody fucking cares. That's the. <laughs> that should be the new city motto. They should vote me in as mayor and just fucking. That's our new city motto. Motto. No one fucking gives a fuck. I'll tell you what. If you were the mayor of this city. First of all, I think the crime would be cleaned up a little bit more. <laughs> Maybe. Everybody gets a gun. Somebody knocks your window out, shoot the motherfucker. <laughs> and that's probably what's needed, you know? Yeah. Because this is like, when they call it the Wild West, this is the fucking Wild West this of it, modern day, man. No that's, one cares. The, the hobo's here, and they're sophisticated, man. You walk past a, We walked past a hobo encampment the other day on the way to the train station. And the hobos have the fucking electricity siphoned off of the street light using like <laughs> gator clamps and an extension cord running down the fucking block with uh I mean it you know it's just crazy man it is it's just it's madness it's fucking you know, total it's, madness and what's funny is that it's 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 acceptable you know it's nobody bats an eye nobody yeah. cares no no there's nobody. No cops going over there saying, hey, you know, you can't siphon this electricity off of this, you know, city uh, lamppost or whatever. You know, just, people don't care. No. You know, it's just a whatever. You do what you got to do, I guess, at some point. You know? You know, but, I, I was thinking about that, man. Like, what do you do? Like, say someone goes to rob you or whatever. I mean, like, it's the cops aren't showing up either way. Yeah. So who's to say, like, maybe, maybe you don't just fucking, you know, be the bad guy. I don't know. You know, the only thing that I can hope that they're using that, you know, electricity for obviously the, you know, the the bare essentials and the obvious of what people need electricity for. But hopefully they're listening to this podcast as well. <laughs> you motherfucker. <laughs> the hobos down the street are most definitely not listening to this goddamn podcast. <laughs> Good Lord. I you never know, man. You never that know. That smell, dude. Then we were at the train station. This hobo walked by. That smell it lingered. Yeah, minute for minutes. Yeah, it, it was you could. It was so thick in the air you could cut it with a knife. Yeah, now you know I'm used to that living in New York City for a while, <sighs> and that's that's just common. You would get on a subway train, you know, and you're you know half kicked in the ass leaving the bar or whatever. You go back to the, the to go back home on the train, and there's one car that you particularly get into. And you want to switch to the next car at the next like stop because it does not smell very pleasant at all. Dude, but yeah. how about those kids throwing fucking chicken nuggets? Oh, yeah. Chicken nuggets and, and nachos and shit. All little, the uh, let me illustrate this picture. There's <laughs> little tenure, There's a group of kids and, like, I guess their parents or uncles or aunts or something. I don't know. They were running amok. It's 11 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. There's fucking chicken nuggets and, and, and nacho <laughs> chips and cheese all over the fucking deck. And this kid's running around doing a dance, and he's like, what'd he say? We're having a motherfucking pizza party up in here. And I was like, holy shit, man. This kid's like 10 years old talking about having a motherfucking pizza party. On a school night, (laughs) mind you. On a school night. (laughs) Damn, kid, what'd you do during this motherfucking pizza party? I don't know. Just it, just bizarre wildness is my impression of this city. Do you know why that happened? 
No. Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares, man. <laughs> I could walk out the door here on 7th Street in Oakland and just pull down my pants and walk fucking 10 blocks. No one would stop me. No. No one gives a fuck. That's true. It's nuts. I'm not going to do that, but... I hope you don't. You, know, <laughs> you might wake up pregnant or something, you know? <laughs> Around here, yeah. No shit, man. All right, let's talk about music real quick. Uh... I found I found this album that I really like. It's called uh, Lars Erickson in the Bastards. Uh, Viking is the title of the album. I've only really listened to a handful of songs. I like it. Kind of a punk feel. Kind of a Flog and Molly type thing. Clearly, somebody in the band who wrote these lyrics was a seafarer. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's that's cool to to discover a new band like that that mm-hmm. it may not be new but it's new to you mm-hmm. you know and and to be able to find you know something that's that's like a hidden gem yeah it is a know? hidden gem i'd uh stumbled across this song called uh married to the sea nice yeah it's just kind of a little cool you know four minute song that's awesome yeah you don't find that every day yeah you know something that really speaks to you yeah, well, you know, Flog and Molly had that song uh, shipping up to Boston. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, not that's Flog Dropkick Molly. Murphys, Drop man. Murphys. Oh, oh yeah, 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 the Philadelphia guy getting yeah. his Boston music fucked up. <laughs> and I say Boston. <laughs> <laughs> when everyone else says Boston, <laughs> I say, how do I say it? Bo- Boston. Yeah, you probably say it correctly. Boston. I say it, I say it fucked up. You know, Bo- Boston. <laughs> I say Boston. Boston. All right. <laughs> The accent, man. It's similar. Philly and and bo- car is ca. Yeah, well, it's maybe to someone else's ear, it sounds similar, but you can definitely tell the difference. Like if you live there or you're from there, you yeah. can definitely tell the difference between Philly, New York, and Boston. You know. Okay, I know New York. <clears throat> I know New York. Yeah, New York is is like. It can sound similar to Boston, also. Yeah, you know, but it also can sound similar to Philly. So it's. I don't know. I don't know how the hell it, it it developed or whatever, but somehow, obviously, there was a lot of uh, you know uh, similarities developed mm-hmm. between the two. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's it, if if a Philly guy goes to Boston or a Boston guy goes to they Philly, can tell. there's a major difference. Okay, yeah, I'll tell you, but one, you can actually hear it. You know, one that I think there's a similarity to that I pick up on is New Orleans and New York. Really? It's weird, dude. New Orleans and New York. New, n- yep. Really? New Orleans and New, and New York. Wow. There is a certain enunciation of vowels that is similar to oh, me. I would never think that. Yeah. Now, Northern California, I talked about it last podcast. Northern California is strange because there is an extenuation of vowels that uh, I hope I don't pick up on. <laughs> you know, they say you're a product of your environment. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I yeah. will tell you this. I don't live in New York anymore. I don't live in Philly anymore. But I haven't lost those bits of accent from from either you know, one from what I picked up. But where I live now, it's I don't see myself picking up that accent. You know. Yeah, about but that. It's, it's yeah. I hope it's you very don't. southern over there. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you don't, man. So who knows? Maybe you won't pick up the the California accent. I don't know. I don't think you will. I hope I don't. The one, the one that I think is it, it's it depends who's saying it to me, and there's no in between. Is hella? 
I oh, either yeah. think it is absolutely asinine <laughs> or it's very cute, one of the two. <laughs> so, well, it depends on who's saying it. It depends on who's saying it, you right? Know, if there's a, a cute girl saying hello, you'd be like, oh, that's very endearing. Yeah. But if you know, some, some jackass down the street you know, yeah. is, who says hello, you'd be like, yeah, you're a bum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shut up, bum. All right. And then, and then a, a, a pretty little blonde says it, and I'm like, damn, okay. That's, All right. that's a cool little piece of slang. I'm not going to use it, but it's cute when you use it. <laughs> and you don't have to use it, you know? Yeah, you know, the nuances of the English language are fascinating to me Oh, as well. my God. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, and if you get good with it, you can almost pick up. I guess when I, went to, when I was a teenager, I was with so many people from all over the, the United States and abroad that you can kind of pick up on where people are from. Just after a very brief conversation, yeah, you know, and it's kind of a game to me. I like to be able to guess where people are from. Uh, sometimes I get it wrong, but you know, I'll tell you what. When I was a kid, uh, we used to go down to the Jersey Shore for vacation. Okay, you know, and you know, different you know towns on the Jersey Shore. So you know, you got Wildwood, you got Ocean City, you got Long Beach Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one one year we went up going to uh, Seaside Heights. Right, which is kind of like Central Jersey, but because it's Central Jersey, it's drawn. A lot of people are drawn there not only from Philly but also from New York City too. Mm-hmm. Right, so my father, my parents had rented out this this uh, you know this house or condo, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it was a house uh, for the week, and right next door there was a family there from the Bronx. Right? All right, and I had never met anybody from New York yet at the time, you know. And this guy was telling me it was like it was a, a boy and a girl who were the kids or whatever, and you know we were outside hanging out or whatever. And he was telling me, and we were laughing about the the different the differences of our of of the English language and how we how we speak, you know, and where we're from or whatever. And he uh, he was telling me about uh, the word. Word, word, you yeah. I mean? Like how they would say word. Yeah, that's a you very know? New York thing, man. Exactly. And he was like, "Yeah, word means yes." I'm like, "What? <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Word means yes." And he's like, "Ask me a question that the answer is yes." And I say, "Is the sky blue?" Word. I'm like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are you talking about?" You. <laughs> That's and funny. He, that was the first time I had ever heard that. And then, you know, obviously later on you start listening, you hearing that in like, you know, rap music or whatever. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it becomes like a staple, you know. Yeah. But that was a, that was a neighborhood thing where he grew up in the Bronx, you know. Word. Yeah, word. Yeah, it's, defi- it's definitely a, a, like an affirmation, you know, like whatever you're, you're saying, you're, you're answering in the affirmative. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. word. But it's just something as simple as that. You know, it's a it's an example of how wherever you go in this country, you know, you can have different different types of uh, you know p- ways that people speak. I'm gonna bring up so some of my favorite. This is one of my favorite like uh, regionally specific uh, slang words or slang phrases. Okay, you go down to Alabama, <laughs> and kind of like word people will say "roll tide." It's just like oh yeah, we're you know, hardcore. Hey, you going Alabama out tonight? Fans. Roll Tide. 
You know, it's like, what the, what the fuck does that mean? Like, did you go there? Did you go to that university? Like, what? I can't even remember what college it is. What is that? What college? University is that? of Alabama. Okay, University of Alabama. Did you go to Alabama? Like, you know, yeah. no, Roll Tide. You know, well, like, the name of their team is is the Crimson Tide. The Crimson Tide. Tide. Gotcha. Right. So they're saying is Roll Tide. I know. Meaning, like, I know. you know. Roll tight, like we're gonna win, we're gonna beat this team or whatever. But that's what everybody in fucking Alabama identifies with. That I, at least in Southern Alabama, where I've been, All right? You know, Mobile. Shout out to Mobile, Alabama. I love you, Mobile. <laughs> and the thing is, is that it's that's become part of their vernacular. You know, it's become part of their their local culture. Yeah. You know that that's how they speak. You yeah. Know? It's 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 weird. Roll tide. Roll tide. Are you going out tonight? Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Hell yeah. Hey, you want a shot of whiskey? Roll Tide. <laughs> now, in Texas, they'd say hell yeah, right? I, I don't know. We would just say yes, maybe. I don't know. No, like would normal yes. human beings. Or fuck yeah, maybe. Fuck yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Bring me that shot of whiskey now, maybe. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. We don't really have, I don't think, too many. Y'all is a big one. Sure. Uh, that that people notice, y'all. I, I I will always say y'all. It makes sense to me. I can intellectually defend my position of saying y'all. It's a contraction. I'd like to hear this. It's a contraction, man. It is. You a contraction. all. I agree. I mean, contractions are a thing. It's. I mean, it needs to be you know legitimized. You want to hear the the Philly version of that? Yeah. You guys. Use guys. Use. Use. That's right. Yeah. Y O U S. Right. <laughs> But there's a there's there's a, a pluralization to that. Okay. Like use is like two people. Okay. You know, are you going? Okay. Are you going to the game tonight? All right. You know, that means use use two. Yeah. Right. If you're talking about a group bigger than two people, like we're talking about ten people. You're talking about ten people. Are all yous going? All yous. It's yous. All yous. <laughs> all yous <laughs> going. <laughs> all right. So you got yous, and then you got all yous. You know. Oh, Philly. <laughs> But that's, but y'all would c- encompass both of those. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you could say y'all for two or y'all for however many. You know? You could say it for one, really. No, y'all is definitely more than a singular. It's, really? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a plural. But isn't it so commonly used that you would, you would say it as y'all regardless of if mm. it was one person or no? Negative. Okay. No. Okay. No, it, so it's a plural. you're teaching me. Yeah. It's definitely a plural. Okay. And how many day, times a day would you say it is that you use y'all? Five or six. That's it? Yeah. I, don't, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not all the time. Was it more when you were in Texas? No. No? I still say y'all. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know what's weird is we, we were talking about this off air. I, uh, I wear cowboy boots and I like, I like bull riding. I love going to the rodeo. I fucking hate modern country music. I cannot stand this shit. There is a song that a guy named Bo Burnham has done. Uh, he's a comedian, and it's called uh, Wow. What is it called? I cannot remember the name of the song. Uh, anyways, it's about modern country music, and it's it's so spot on, dude. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just it, it's like a formula. The way they write these songs is is formulaic. And you know it's about it's about like you know you got to include some shit like pickup trucks and fishing, and uh, then we're gonna talk about like you know our hardship. But you know I'm wearing like five thousand dollar cowboy boots on my private jet. You know just it's it's all fucking contradictory, man. It's all bullshit. Well, you know it's not all about you know your dog died that day or whatever. You know what I mean? That was 
it was uh, I think old country music when where it's classic it was a, a lot of the a lot of the the content was like not necessarily sadness but like you know maybe melancholy so to speak you know what I mean I don't necessarily agree with that it doesn't have to be melancholy it doesn't have to be but I, I think that was well maybe I should say that's what the that's what most people think of it yeah. as those who don't listen to country so, music. So, <laughs> I'm going to point to the, the greatest of all time. And if, if anyone out there doesn't like Hank Williams, you just kiss my ass right now. <laughs> like that's the way this goes because Hank Williams is a fucking legend, right? And it's you, you know he yes does he have melancholy songs? Absolutely, right. However, he also has songs about like being excited to go on a date with his girlfriend. Like that's. That's fucking real. Like, sure. most people can relate to that. So does George Strait. Okay, George Strait is also a fucking legend, but, you know, like, that's not what I'm saying. Like, but, I'm not criticizing George Strait no, or I'm, Garth Brooks. I'm just saying, like, modern country music these days, yes. the way that they crank out these fucking stupid-ass albums, man. The I'm thing, not listening to this shit. The, and you don't have to. And that's the beauty of it, you know? It's freedom in America, man. <laughs> <laughs> Every Now, that being said, every once in a while... Like, one of my buddies would be like, listen to this song. Like, there's one, uh, there's a guy named uh, Uncle Lucius, Keep the Wolves Away. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a melancholy song, but uh, I would definitely call it country. And it's it's about this guy's dad getting injured on a, uh, a French tanker, French-owned tanker in Galveston Bay. Hmm. And uh, that's actually, that was a real thing. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not. I'll, I'll go, we'll go into the story some other time, but uh, you know, I'm very familiar with the story. Grew up hearing it, right. and um, you know, it's it's a song about that. That's cool. I'll listen to that. that it tells a story. You know, it's a it's 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 exciting to listen to. Right. But well, let me ask you this: modern country music. All right. Yes, most of it is country mixed with a lot of like a pop sound or like like you said the formulaic mm-hmm. sound yeah what do you think about chris stapleton although very popular and also uh considered modern because i guess he is mm-hmm. what's your opinion on on chris stapleton hard pass or do you have a chris uh, uh I, i'm apathetic to it okay hard pass just i don't care so you don't care either way don't care either way okay yeah he falls in the middle interesting yeah Interesting. I like that. Now, there's some, like, give me that song about, oh, who is it Carrie Underwood talking about, like, uh, breaking out the headlights of her, you know, her boyfriend's pickup truck and, and cutting up his fucking leather seats? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Who did, was that Carrie Stable? Or Carrie Underwood? Carrie Underwood? I think, I think it was. Yeah. I don't know. Somebody out there send me an email. I know the song you're talking about. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to say it on there because I sound like shit. I've got a horrible voice, but... But yeah, I'll listen to that shit all day. I'll fucking put that on YouTube and jam out whenever we leave here. Now, would that not be considered modern country music? It is. So there are exceptions to the rule. Okay. So but there are exceptions. Th- I mean, she's telling a story. She like is. this. Not only is this asshole cheating, <laughs> he's going in the bathroom, and she, in her mind, she is imagining this guy's going and, and putting like you know two dollars of that bathroom polo on. That's very specific shit. <laughs> like she's got some experience with this. She knows what she's talking about, man. No doubt about it. You know, she's not making this shit up. However, in that same tra- train of thought, Chris Stapleton is also telling the story as well. What story is he telling? All right. For instance, there's that one song, and I don't remember the hell the name of it, but 
uh, if you look at the video or whatever, it, it basically illustrates the song, and it's the woman that he loves. You know, he's he's very, you know, deeply in love with her. I don't know if it's his wife or girlfriend or whatever, mm-hmm. but she has uh, mental issues or whatnot, and she winds up, you know, drowning, and I, th- I believe she drowns in a, in the video. She drowns in a, a bathtub or something like that. Holy fuck. Yeah, but it's his... He, every time that she would you know, encounter, she would have an episode, I guess, so to speak. Um, he was able to come back and save her, you know. He was able to come back mm. and save her every time, you know. If she tried to do this or whatever and, you know, uh, hurt herself or whatever, he would come back and save her. Well, this one particular time, he wasn't able to get back in time to save her. Mm. And she wound up committing suicide, you That's know. fucking sad. Right. It's completely sad. But he's telling a story, you know. I don't know. I've never heard that song. <clears throat> uh, you know, maybe you should uh, give it a listen. All right. You know. I could do that. You might like it. I don't know. Yeah. It's a very sad song, you know. Mm. Um, what the hell is it called? Something, not Fade Away. I don't know. If anybody out there knows the song, you can. Do you listen to country music? I do not. But I like a lot of. But you know, like, you, you like the song. I like a lot of different types of music okay you know i mean my i would say i typically will default to like you know rock and roll or even you know you know some metal music or whatever um but you know i like something that is uh pleasing you know what i mean Hmm. something that catches your ear there's a lot of different types of music that you don't necessarily have to like that particular genre of music but the fact is is that there are catchy songs. Yeah, sometimes you hear a song that just catches you. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's something that grabs you, you know, whether it be uh, the sound or whether it be, you know, maybe just the sound of the guitar work or mm-hmm. maybe the sound of the drums or maybe the sound of the singer's voice. Or maybe it's just the the topic of what yeah. they're discussing and what they're singing about, you know. It could be something as simple as that, you know. Yeah. But... You don't necessarily have to like that particular genre of music, but if you like a particular sound, I'm not ashamed to say that I like certain uh, country songs, even though I'm not a country music fan necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? All right. All right. So, I get that. Yeah. You know, there's there's some pop songs that I like that, you know, mm. and, and I will be honest with you. Who's that chick that sings Eye of the Tiger? What's her name? I have the tiger. Dude, I like that song, man. Are you talking about... Like 2012, 2013? Oh, I don't know what the hell that is. Her, um, when you say I had a tiger, I'm thinking you're talking about Survivor, and that was Rocky Three. Okay, now I like that <laughs> shit, too. <laughs> she was on American Idol, man. What was her name? I have a tiger. I like that song unashamedly. She did uh, Super Bowl halftime maybe like five years ago. Is it Carrie Underwood? Maybe it's Carrie Underwood. It could be. We might have a Carrie Underwood fan in the house here. I don't know. Holy shit. I'm a Carrie Underwood fan. I you, didn't even realize that. You may be. I don't maybe. know. Maybe. I don't know. It's weird how life happens. You know, another one that I liked that was on American Idol. I fucking despised American Idol, by the way. I did, too. I hate reality TV and all that bullshit. Michael Buble, Around Christmas Time. Hmm. Yeah. You know what? Michael Buble is... He's kind of like... The modern-day Harry Connick Jr. Okay. Who was, at the time, modern-day, I don't know, I'm not going to say Frank Sinatra because... No, don't say Frank Sinatra. Yeah, because Frank but Sinatra was the direction. best. In that direction. Right. He was like a that type of singer. 
You know. By the way, you have secondhand Frank Sinatra stories. I do. And we're not going to get into them now, but we're going to lead off the next episode of the podcast when you're on it with that. That's cool. Those fucking fascinate me. Frank Sinatra was the man. Frank Sinatra was the man that celebrities look to as yeah. the man. He's you the know? man. There, I forget who it was. I don't. I don't remember which. There was some celebrity, was actor or whatever, who said that he was quoted in uh, in an interview and it said there was VIP and then there was Frank Sinatra VIP. All right, you know. Let's get into these stories. Let's do it now. If we don't do it now, it may never happen. You want to do it now? Let's fucking do it now, man. Are you sure? All right. Yeah. I mean, you know what? This podcast is all about. One of the reasons I started this podcast was to record the stories that would never have been recorded that we will we will regret missing whenever people pass on. Are you saying that uh, I'm going to meet my early demise sometime soon? I'm saying if you if if <laughs> if the person who told you these stories is gone, God he rest is. his soul. God rest his soul. Absolutely. And then you die and you know, God rest your future soul. Nobody ever tells this story to the world at large. You know, young kids in Vietnam will never hear about this story. That's true. That's true. And I, I hope the hell that, uh, I hope to God, I should say, that I don't meet my early demise anytime soon. But yeah, if you'd like to discuss it now, we can. All right, let's do that. All right. Let's take a short break. We're, we're coming up on an hour and 45 minutes. And, Is that uh, all? That's it. That's it, man. It goes by. It's it goes quick, by man. fast. Quick. Let's take another short break and uh, we'll be back and we're going to talk about Frank Sinatra stories. Okay. Stand by. All right, y'all. We're about to hear some epic shit now. It's going to be about Frank Sinatra. And there's not too many more serious topics when it comes to Americana than Frank Sinatra. Maybe Elvis Presley? I don't know. But they're in the same category for sure. So you know a guy. We'll call him Bobby. And we'll leave it at that. Sound good to you? Yeah, that's fine. We'll call him Bobby. So you knew this guy firsthand. I did. I did. And he knew Frank Sinatra first fucking hand. Indeed. Indeed. Let's get into it, man. Well, um, I knew this guy named Bobby. And uh, he was uh, a very uh, very eccentric kind of guy. You know, he was very, uh, but, but very specific, too. You know? Um, you know, he was, uh, an older man and he was hard nosed and he was, uh, he was very, uh, matter, very matter of fact, mm. you know, like nothing, nothing came out of his mouth was bullshit. You know what I mean? Nothing came out of his mouth just, you know, like, uh, like frivolously, you know what I mean? He was the type of man that was very matter of fact and it was just, and that was it, you know? So... You could pretty much take to the bank whatever he said was 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 factual, you know. So um, he was a good man. He had a good heart, and he was a uh, a very uh, strong-minded man, you know. But he was uh, he was good people, and uh, at any rate, he uh, he used to tell stories once in a while um, about various different things, you know, and. Uh, one of the topics was that he, how he had become friends with Frank Sinatra. Okay. And I said, Frank Sinatra, get the hell out of here, you know? And he's like, I'm telling you, you know? 
then that's just how he spoke. You know, I'm telling you, this is what it was, you know. So, anyway, he uh, he had told me a story where um, he had been hanging out in a bar club type place. It was, uh, it was probably like a lounge or something in, uh, in midtown Manhattan, right? And this and, is what, like 50s? This is probably, if I had to guess, probably in the 60s. Okay. You know? And, uh, you know what, actually it might have even been in the 70s now that I think about it. Probably late 60s, early 70s, something like that. Uh, he didn't. He never gave the time frame, but um, if I had to guess, it was probably late 60s, early 70s, something like that. So anyhow, he's hanging out in this place, and he's a younger guy, you know, and uh, he's just there by himself or whatever, and the joint was packed, right? And... Uh, you want me to say the name of the place? Yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. Name of the place was called Jilly's. Yeah. Right? That's awesome. And uh, Jilly's was a place um, in midtown Manhattan um, where it was you know, it was popular or whatever. So he was there this one night in particular, his first night there. And, you know, he went in and he had a couple, you know, drinks or whatever. And he was just hanging out and da 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 And as the night went on, there was, you know, people obviously left and... He either went home or went to another joint or whatever. So he, it got to the point where he was sitting at, a, at the bar alone with, and there was another man who was down at the end of the bar. And at one point, you know, this older man at the end of the bar called him over and he says, uh, hey kid, come on over here. All right. So he goes down there and he's talking with him. And he goes, uh, what's your name? And he goes, I'm uh, Bobby, you know. And uh, he goes, hey, I'm nice to meet you. I'm uh, I'm Jilly. I own this joint. And he goes, oh, he says, nice to meet you. And uh, he goes, what are you, uh, we're about to close up here tonight. But he goes, uh, what are you doing tomorrow morning? And he says, well, nothing. I'll probably just, you know, get up and have breakfast or whatever. And he goes, all right, well, you're going to have breakfast. Why don't you come here and have breakfast? And uh, he goes, all right, sure. He goes, what time should I be here? And he tells him. So he goes, all right, I'll be there. So he wakes up the next morning and gets showered and dressed and goes back to the city. And he uh, shows up and he says, uh, you know, he gets there and, you know, Jilly answers the door and he says, "Uh, Bobby, right? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, come on in. He brings him in through past where the bar was to the back, right? And there was uh, this one special table in the corner, right, where there was other men sitting there at this at this table, you know, and they're you know making their breakfast orders or whatever. And uh, sitting at the table were a bunch of different people, and he's introducing them, and one of them was Frank Sinatra. And he sees Frank Sinatra sitting there at the table, and obviously everybody knows who in the hell Frank Sinatra was. And uh, he's like, he says to Jill, he goes, I don't belong here, I gotta go. And he goes, no, you sit down. You're my guest here. So he goes, all right. And he goes, Frank, this is uh, Bobby, you know. And uh, he says, Bobby, nice to meet you, Frank Sinatra. Da, 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 da. And, you know, they, they hung out and they had breakfast or whatever. And from that, uh, he became, they became friends, you know, and from there on, a lot of times when Frank was, you know, in town and he was playing, 
you know, Madison Square Garden or wherever he was playing in, in Manhattan, you know, he would uh, he would offer Bobby tickets to the, to go to the show, you know, him and his family or what have you. And, uh, you know, if Frank was playing in Vegas or whatever, he would say, hey, uh, why don't you come out and see us? You know, come out and see the show or whatever. And, uh, you know, they'd fly out there and to Vegas. and That is so badass, know, and they, man. They'd catch the show, you know, and the whole bit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one night in particular, he... Uh, he was playing Madison Square Garden, and uh, right after a song, you know, he saw Bobby sitting down in, you know, the front row, wherever the hell he was sitting, and uh, right in the front of 20,000 people, he says, hey, there's my friend Bobby, you know? Man. <laughs> and that was like a, you know, it's a big deal now, but, you know, even then it was a big deal. Yeah. You know? Talk about making so, your head swell up, man. Yeah. You know? Frank Sinatra just gave me a shout-out up on stage. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and he just... He he was a genuine, you know, he became a genuine friend of Frank Sinatra, you know, and I don't know, I don't know many people that could say that. No, you no, know? I, no, you know, but Never. Uh, it's as as strong as a man as Bobby was. I can't even imagine how much stronger of a man that Frank Sinatra was. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, it was it was it was pretty cool. Some of the stories that he would tell and. Uh, <laughs> there was one in particular where he was hanging out at Jilly's one night, him and Bob and Frank and um and Jilly obviously and a couple other people and uh it was like this is the, like the late seventies I would say. And uh that's when uh what the hell was that club? Uh Studio fifty four. Okay. All right, Studio fifty four was like the big thing. Yeah. You know? And you know, Studio fifty four was like during the disco time and all mm-hmm. that in the late 70s, that was, like, that was it, you know? If anybody was anybody, they were at Studio 54. And Studio 54 was actually the place where they introduced the Velvet Rope, you know? Okay. You know, like, outside of a club, you see yeah, Velvet yeah, Rope yeah. and all that? Yeah, I didn't know that. They're the ones that started that. No shit. Right? Yeah. So, and they also started with, like, the, you know, the guy at the door. You know, you weren't getting in unless you knew the guy at the door or whatever. Or you wanted to, you know, sit online for, you know, hours. So they walk in, they, they, they're, they're sitting at Jilly's, right? And they're like, uh, hey, what's this deal with the studio, with the 54 and this place or whatever? Let's go check it out. So they decide to walk up the street. And they walk up a couple blocks and they go to the studio 54. And the guy at the door sees Frank Sinatra trying to come in. And he's like losing his mind. He's like, oh my God, Frank Sinatra, come right this way. You know, and him and the entire entourage, you know, everybody that comes in. Fucking right. Yeah. So, you know, you got Frank Sinatra walking into your club. It's a big deal. You know what I mean? Regardless of how big Studio 54 was, nobody was bigger than Frank Sinatra. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they walk in the joint, and apparently they stand there, and they're looking around, and they're seeing what they're seeing. And, you know, there's people dancing in their underwear and all kinds of crazy shit, you know, and one of the owners of the club's. The club comes down and goes, oh, Mr. Sinatra, so good to see you. Thanks for coming in, blah, 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 blah. And he's looking around, and Frank was, he wasn't that type of guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He wasn't in with that whole, you know, drug scene and the, mm-hmm. you know, people acting crazy, you know. And uh, they took one look, and he's looking around, and he says, come on, guys, let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Studio 54. And they turn around and walk the fuck out of the place. 
Oh, that's a boss move right there, man. I'm telling you. And they walk back to Jilly's and they're like, can you believe the fucking shit that was going on in that place? <laughs> that is wild, man. Yeah. What a fucking cool person. Yeah. You know, something interesting uh, about Frank Sinatra, he was, a, he was a Jack Daniels guy. He was indeed. And yeah. Bobby used to have uh, an autographed bottle of Jack Daniels. That is badass, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was autographed by Frank. That is so cool. Yeah. yeah. You know, got... Jack Daniels makes a Sinatra Select. I bought a, I've heard I, that. I bought a bottle of, uh, it's probably me telling you. <laughs> I bought a bottle at the White Rabbit, which is the uh, the one place in, uh, I want to say it's Lynchburg County. Wherever Lynchburg, Tennessee is, whatever okay. whatever county that is, it's a dry county. And there's only one place you can buy liquor, and it's at the Jack Daniels Distillery. Hmm. It's called the White Rabbit. I bought a bottle. It was like 200 bucks or whatever, which was a lot of fucking money for me yeah. for a bottle of Jack Daniels. You know, some of the best whiskey I've ever had. Is that right? I don't know if it was all in my head because it had a picture of Frank Sinatra on it. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, damn, that's some good whiskey. I'm sure. Yeah, somebody send me a bottle of that shit. Yeah, you know what? Send me a bottle, too. I'd, I'd like to try it anyway. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you an interesting uh, little anecdote. Okay. Frank Sinatra and I share the same birthday. Okay, do you feel like sharing that? I guess people could just go. Well, yeah, anyone who knows, you know, Frank Sinatra, his birthday was December 12th, so. Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah, same birthday. Really cool. Yep. Fucking Frank Sinatra. Yep. One of my heroes. There was Frank Sinatra VIP, and then there was regular VIP. No shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's celebrities that have said in in interviews, you know, there was the VIP, and then there was Frank Sinatra VIP, Mm. you know, where... Even the, those celebrities couldn't get into, or you know, they were, you know, they felt like like you know children. You yeah. know, they felt like little kids. You know, with like starstruck. You know, if they got it, even actually got a sniff of the Frank Sinatra VIP. Yeah. Yeah. So, big deal. That is a big deal. Well, you know, I guess I guess I should tell everyone that you you have something to do with the maritime industry at this point. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we ever got there. I meant to lead with that, but fuck, man, yeah. uh, you you got something to do with the maritime industry. We'll leave it at that. Mm. It's not important at this point. We're two hours into this episode. <laughs> We're gonna come back, man. We're gonna talk about hockey. We're gonna talk about ghost stories. Uh, you've evidently got a creepy story. We're gonna talk about some good shit, man. Uh, okay. I think. I, I, what do you think for now? We'll call it, we'll call it quits. Want to call it a night? Yeah, let's call it a night, man. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you it's what. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. You know, it's been a pleasure uh, being your guest here on the podcast. And, you know, I hope uh, all of the listeners uh, are enjoying the, the show here and or have enjoyed the show, I should say. And, you know, I'm uh, looking forward to, you know, sitting down and chatting with you again. Hell yeah, we're going to do it for sure. I'm trying to remember the name of that uh, documentary they made on the President Wilson. Uh, lockdown in Shanghai or something like that. Let me look it up real quick. Okay. It, it, I'm not going to do it justice unless I can remember the name. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, it's all in the in the in the news now. You know, and that's it actually, is. Yeah, it's gotten very uh, a lot of good uh, you know press in terms of you know their their plight at the moment. So there's one account, actually, uh, I might as well just tell a story of how I, I came across this. Um, let me find the person first. Okay, I found it. Okay, so I came across this. I ran across a uh, random-ass 
cover of Creep and by Radiohead, and it was in an empty cargo hold on a ship. Really? And it was it's fantastic. That's I may cool. even play it. I, she won't sue me, I'm sure. Uh, Let's hope not. She's not gonna fucking sue me. <laughs> And uh, I don't have any money anyways later. <laughs> <laughs> all I have is shitty worthless opinions. <laughs> and a few sea stories. That's all right. But That's yeah, man, I, I ran across this. It was fantastic. And uh, I was like, holy shit, why are they in a cargo hold, an empty cargo hold? Because mm-hmm. it was beautiful, man. I was like, you know, they're, they're using the acoustics, you know, turning, turning away from the microphone, facing the microphone. It was just, it, it was fantastic. A very haunting rendition. And uh, so I clicked on this lady's profile, and uh, and man, it like brought me down this rabbit hole of being locked on the ship in China. They're in shipyard. Nobody's fucking working on the ship. X, Y, and Z. And I was like, man, this is nuts. Like, why does nobody know about this? Mm-hmm. Because you know, as a as a seafarer, this is not good. This is some fucked up shit. Sure. And uh, I don't want to get too many too into too much of the details you can look it up for yourself i can't say it any more uh, beautifully than than they've already said it it's uh it, check the song out I'll, I'll put a link to this song in the uh job job description <laughs> in the show notes in the show notes and uh what is the name of that documentary let me get off of that hold on just a second it is I didn't know there was a is that is that it? Yeah, locked uh, Shanghai shipyard. Fuck, I'll have to find it. It's like locked down in Shanghai or something. Okay. Uh, restricted to ship. That's what it's called. Is that what it's called? Restricted, restricted to, to ship. Restricted to ship. Okay. And it's in uh, like two or three parts. It's really awesome. It's uh, yeah, restricted to ship. Uh, they've got two episodes out, ghosted in Shanghai, and there's like, I mean, this is done on a level that needs to be in, like, fucking Sundance or something. I mean, this is so... Is that right? Awesome. Yeah, I do, it, it, it's very professionally done. It looks great. It's edited well. Uh, and it just speaks to me. Like, th- this this dude, it's got a, for example, episode number two. It's got pictures of some of the crew members. You know, some of them are smiling, some are not. And then, like, the bottom half is just this dude sitting there with a hard hat over his regular ball cap and he's smoking a cigarette and like what the fuck is he looking at like this guy's just pondering life you know or maybe he's thinking about nothing Hmm. Um, anyways and they go through and and document their experiences and it's some serious challenges and they're stuck and they cannot leave like the Chinese government's not letting them move around so check it out there's no surprise there I'll have to look at that I'll have to check it out yeah it's a thing man so everybody in the maritime industry should be checking it out in my opinion just to bring some education to the matter. Sounds good. Yeah, with that being said, uh, I'm JB Salty. You can find me at the Ship's Log Podcast at gmail.com, uh, JB underscore Salty on Instagram, and uh, same thing on Facebook. I did have a, uh, an, an, an imposter recently try to make a fake Instagram account. I saw that. That was wild. Yeah, I saw that. It's like, wow, who am I? Well, you know what? Somebody wants to be you, man. Somebody wants to be me. What you a know? weird fucking world it is. Uh, you know what? I guess that somebody, you know, uh, saw the, the value in being uh, a JB Salty. And uh, evidently, 
he uh, went as far as to, or he or she, <laughs> went as far as to imposter. imposter <laughs> my you. message to that person is this, is you don't want my problems, brother <laughs> or sister, whoever you are. You don't want my problems. <laughs> All right, y'all. Uh, send me a message. Give me a shout out. Let me know what's going on. I'll see you next time. I got a guy that may be coming in to do an interview on Friday. Maybe pretty cool. He's from Florida. We get Florida man on the show. Oh, the Florida man, huh? Florida man. All right, y'all. Catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to my bullshit. Catch you later.